Welcome to the Strength Culture Podcast. All right, guys. Today I have Matthew Jones on the podcast. Matthew Jones is an IPF world champion, Olympic weightlifter, and coach. Welcome, Matthew. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have you on. Um, I saw you, I've seen your stuff on Instagram over time, you know, years. And then recently I saw just some interaction shared between like you, my, uh, myself, uh, David Gray, I think Angus Bradley too, um, which I think is really cool because there's so many concepts that they talk about that I think are so useful to many people, not just athletes alone. Um, and one of the reasons I really wanted to get you on the podcast is because you are such a successful powerlifter, weightlifter, and Olympic coach. Um, so, Matthew, why don't you kind of just give us where you started, how, how you started, how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's It's been a journey. Um, I mean, I could just start from the beginning. Uh, I was an athlete my whole life, so I grew up as a wrestler. Um, but I think something that was really great for me was my parents like threw me into and all the sports. So like I was a wrestler, I did, sw I did swimming, like they threw me into the swimming. Um, I didn't even know how to swim at the time. Uh, like I was like five years old and I just, you know, figured it out over time. Um, I was a big soccer player, did some baseball. Um, so yeah, I grew up an athlete, but wrestling was my main sport. And I did that, um, through my sophomore year of high school. Um, unfortunately walked away from wrestling. I had some concussion headache type issues. Uh, that just kind of caught up to me. Um, and then after that is when I really discovered lifting. And uh, I actually, I was on YouTube and I saw a video of Pete. Do you know Pete Rubish? No, I'm not familiar. So I've never, I've never talked to him in person or anything, but he, he's this guy on YouTube and he was like just raging in deadlift in front of his washer and dryer, like in his basement. And like, he was just lifting with such aggression. I thought, man, I got to go try that. So I went to the recreate, like my local recreation center and like max out. I never deadlift before. I didn't even know what it was. I just maxed out. And from there I was, I was pretty hooked. Um, what did you do? Do you remember? I, I did 315. Okay. So yeah. deadlifting before, you know? Yeah, I did 315. Uh, literally just had no idea what I was doing. It did not feel good. I remember that. <laughs> so was it like all back? It was all, I think it was all back. It's I had the cat back going. Yeah. It was all, you know, I was a wrestler. So like in wrestling, we have like that, you know, kind of arch, hunch, yeah. boxers. Very posture. rounded sort of flexion posture. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. The fighting posture, you know. Exactly. Yeah. And then from there, you know, I uh, just, I, I love deadlifting. That was like my main thing. I don't even, I started squatting like months later. Um, and I was like four, 15 at the time. Um, and then I got kicked out of that rec center for deadlifting because uh, uh, it was too loud. And so then I went. Uh, <laughs> such, a meat, such a meathead thing. You know? It was such a meathead thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was just in here being total, in a total meathead, like just deadlifting my face off. Um, <laughs> uh, then I went to a local gym called King's Gym that had a really rich uh, powerlifting history. And I found a group of, group of powerlifters there. Um, I'm going to shout them out, Kevin, uh, Graham and Brett, they, uh, they really kind of just took me under their wing, especially Kevin. 
And they were like, man, this kid, you know, this kid can lift. And so they kind of actually taught me how to power lift. Like, I didn't even know that you had to bench. I just wanted to squat and deadlift. Uh, and they're like, and I was like, I'm just going to do the two events. They're like, nah, you got to do all three. <laughs> well, <laughs> You're going to total so much in deadlift and squat that you don't even have to bench to get your full number. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> and then from there, uh, I just kept powerlifting. I did my first meet was like the state meet, the Ohio state meet. And then I did the uh, raw nationals and I was in like the 18 and under category. Um, and then from there at raw nationals, I took second. And so I was an alternate, oh, wow. for the I was an alternate, uh, and this is the, in Ohio. So the, the Ohio state championship was my first. And then I was like, all right, let's do the nationals now. Uh, that was a few months later. That was in Atlanta. Okay. Wow. Uh, and so I took second in that. And then, um, I, and then I was an alternate, but I got put on the world team because somebody dropped off or could go or something like that. Um, and so then from there, I was like, I was my, after my second powerlifting meet, I was on the world team and I was like, all right, like, let's do this. That's not normal. <laughs> it like, wasn't, so yeah. anyone listening, like that's not going to be a normal progression of things. <laughs> like clearly you just had like a, a, an IQ a training IQ that was sort of innate. I mean, if I had to assume probably just from the vast majority of, you know, different kinds of sports you played and wrestling. Um, I mean, wrestling is such a brutal sport and some of the craziest, hardest working people I've ever worked with are wrestlers. I mean, the conditioning, I mean, if you could do wrestling, I feel like you can do anything. Yeah. I mean the thing like, and I go back and forth too. I'm like, do I want my future kids to wrestle? It's like, I don't want them to go through what I went through, but also I do because like anything that gets thrown at me, like, I'm just like, whatever, man. Like I, I went through so much shit. Wrestling. Nothing's going to be intense. Nothing's going to be as intense. Right. I mean like the cutting, no. the weight cutting and the water and like you're at school trying to be in class, but you're like dehydrated because you're trying to make a cut. Like, oh my gosh. People don't I, understand. People don't get it. And like, I remember like, I would, I'm like, I have traumatic memories. I'd be so hungry in school and I, I had to take home ec. And so they were oh. making like pastries. And it was like smelling so good. And everyone was like, man, why can't, why can't you eat? I'm like, man, this is, this is brutal. But that's, it was, that's even worse. Wrestling was, is one thing wrestling and like cutting and starving yourself to make weight and then being in home ec. That's, it takes the cake. No, you know, that you can't. literally, literally. <laughs> <laughs> no pun intended, but that's, no pun intended. it doesn't get any worse than that pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's like ultimate <laughs> suffering. No, it was, uh, it was real, but uh, you know, anyway, I have a whole other opinion on, on cutting weight for wrestling. I don't, I don't think people should cut, cut as much weight, you know, as they do. I think really, if you focus on being a freak athlete, just get stronger, right. For your weight strong, class, yeah. feel great. Like you're going to be better conditioned than the guy who cut 10 pounds and, and you're going to have a great time in the sport. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely something I think we can get into and in, in talk a little bit is conditioning for sport, because I mean, you're seeing that a lot now, even with MMA guys are moving weight classes. You're you're seeing guys that, you know, you know, Conor McGregor is a good example just because he's probably the most popular, but he competed at such a lower weight class for a while. And then I think when he went up to upper weight class, he just looked way more comfortable because he's not suffering, yeah. right? He just got stronger and, and just stuck with training at a, you know, competing at a bigger class. And, but I mean, there's so many examples of that now. So many guys are moving around. Even Olympic weightlifting recently with the changes in weight classes, they had to make big decisions on whether to go, I mean, pretty big gaps yeah. go up or down weight class. You know what I mean? So it's, 
it's it's a really interesting topic in and of itself. But so you went your first powerlifting meet. So you're from Ohio. Yeah, I'm from Ohio. So you're like you're like I mean, outside of Texas, you know, obviously you've got Louis Simmons has got Westside there, and there's other yeah. there's many other you know Rogue Fitness is there. The, I mean, yeah, Rogue is here. Like Ohio powerlifting culture is. I was very lucky to grow up in Ohio and like start my powerlifting career in Ohio because like the powerlifting culture here is is crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's like you can't beat it. No, I mean, yeah, you know, like I said, the only I mean, Texas is they got the biggest. I think I think the the Texas high school powerlifting is actually bigger than all the other powerlifting. Oh yeah. Well, you but, know what? Make it a sanctioned high school sport, and it like changes the game. It does. That's it's a good point. That's a very good point. I think it could be phenomenal too. I mean, even Olympic weightlifting in high school would be good too. I think. Yes. But, and then, so then you go to okay. So your first powerlift ever meet ever, you win state. Yeah, in the under 18, in the eighteen yeah. under. Yeah. And then you go to Atlanta to compete at nationals, and you and you play second. And this is your second meet ever. It's my second meet. Yeah. Wow. That's impressive. And so where do you go? Where did you go from here? So, so then I made the world team. So then I had to prep for worlds, which was in uh, Minsk, Belarus. Wow. So did you have sponsors or did you have to pay for this yourself? I, I did a GoFundMe. Okay. Um, and I was so grateful, like, you know, old middle school teachers, like just family, friends, everyone chipped in. Um, it was really beautiful. My mom actually got to come with me too. Um, I didn't want to go all the way over there alone. Especially uh, Belarus, yeah, you know, it's like, yeah, it was, it's such a weird Eastern sort of European block kind of. Yeah. Yeah. It was, <laughs> it was a little scary. I mean, they, you know, they're like a military state over there. So yeah. yeah. Um, but man, so I trained, trained so hard for worlds, like, you know, kind of going into worlds. Like I didn't know, I had no idea who would be there. Right. I didn't know like, I wanted to beat the other guy from the U S we had a little bit of a rivalry going. Like I really yeah. wanted to beat him, but the thing with powerlifting is it's not like, like in wrestling and it frustrated me sometimes like in wrestling, I can go and beat you. Like I can literally just go impose my will on you to beat you. But in powerlifting, I got to lift this to it's be your, it's your imposing the will almost on yourself. Right. It's like, a exactly. Self. Yeah. I mean, obviously the environment itself is I'm sure is, uplifting and it adds a lot of energy i mean i even know just from working in a gym like the environment is everything so the environment itself probably helps but ultimately at the end of the day you're going to better you do your best at what you've accomplished yeah i mean so it's exactly yeah so that was my goal like literally going into the worlds i was like i don't know what's gonna happen i'm just gonna do my best that's it like just do my absolute best and i ended up winning and uh, i set i think i set the squat record and the total (laughs) So, I'm sorry. I'm laughing because this this is part of the reason I wanted. You, I mean, I didn't actually know that it was happened like this. Obviously, because I'm just talking yeah. to you. But wow, what a rapid progression! What that's just freaky, man. It was like, crazy. States, uh, nationals, worlds. One, yeah, one second one. I mean, that's that's crazy. And then and then also, no, nobody really does this like. But I won the second best lifter. So out of all the 18 and under males, I was the second best pound for pound, which I was really proud of too. Wow. So that's comparing all weight classes. All weight classes. So relative total compared to your weight. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Holy crap. So that's, ex- that's an, ex- I mean, that's extremely, and when, when was this? When did you win worlds? So this was, this was in 2017. Okay. So how old are you now? 
I'm 22. 22. Okay. All right. Yes. So you had, you weren't quite 18 yet. I did you was, just turn 18? I just turned 18. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And that, and that was in 2020. That was when, sorry, say that it was 2017. 2017. Okay. Yeah. All right. 2017. All right. So you won worlds in Belarus. Now what, what happened? So, so then, you know, I, I'd accomplished my goal like that, you know, my singular focus for months was like, I want to, I want to do my best at worlds. Like that's it. And you know, whatever happened, I wanted to give my best performance and I, I really thought I did. So I was like, all right. Um, and my plan at the time was to just train for raw nationals again. I was in the new age group, so it was going to be more competitive. Um, but I actually started college at Emory in that, in that fall and I didn't know anybody. Right. And so I was like, you know, I think I'm going to throw, I was like, I didn't know like what, like, I don't know how this idea came in my head, but I was like, I'm going to try to like walk onto the throwing team and they were D three. So like, it wasn't, I wasn't D one or anything, but right. um, I walked on the throwing team. And so I, I hammered through. Okay. Do you know Kibway Johnson? I'm a big fan of Kibway Johnson. I don't know him, but okay. uh, I'll have to, I'll have to connect you guys. Uh, yeah, I'm, fr love I'm friends with Kibway and, and friends with his wife. And, you know, obviously they were both competitive hammer throwers. So I'll have to connect you guys, but that's pretty cool. Dude. I mean, I love his posts. Like I, I get sidetracked easily, but like his posts on like the towel of the hammer, like he gets real deep yeah. with it. So yeah, he's a great guy. He's a, he's, he's a, he's a freaking standup guy, man. He's just a great guy. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I love, I love his post. And I'm also a big fan of, uh, Sean Donnelly. Okay. Uh, he grew up, I think he was around, he went to Mount union. So he was D three for a while. And, uh, so he, I think they run in the same circle. That's, that's pretty, but, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know too many, I mean, I know him and obviously I know athletes yeah. through him and some of the Polyquin training and stuff like that, but yeah, that's, that's pretty sweet. Yeah. Man. So, so I was a hammer thrower. I wasn't like super, you know, I realized that I was very undersized for college hammer throwing. Like I was weighing like 190 pounds. And so, you know, well, I was probably kind of, 220 is probably right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. My teammate was weighing like t between 240 and 250. Okay. Even I was going to say like, yeah, I know a lot of the Olympic level or they're probably up around 250, you know, 240, yeah. 250. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I had fun with it, but that's where I really discovered Olympic weightlifting. Right. And I, I kind of always had an interest in Olympic weightlifting, but like, that's when I started actually like performing the lifts, like in the strength and conditioning. Um, and so I kind of just started doing both. Like I was doing the hammer throw, but I was also training hard and in, in weightlifting too, and just doing both sports. Um, and then we actually got into a van crash on the way to our track meet. We got T-boned. Oh my so, gosh, your, your track team. Our track team, yeah. Wow. Literally, and so we flipped a bunch of times and um, I got a really bad concussion. And so after that, I couldn't do both sports because I just was struggling with workload. And so I picked weightlifting. Okay. And so you basically started weightlifting when you started at Emory and decided to walk on as a thrower. I mean, yes. na I mean naturally, yeah. most people who do, especially throwing, but most any track and field is probably where they're going to get, they're going to get their first exposure, especially at the college level yeah. to Olympic lifts if they haven't had it sooner. Yeah, absolutely. And so now you decided you were going to do Olympic lifting. Yeah. Did you compete? So my first competition, so I started weightlifting and my first competition was in that June. It was, it would have been June of 2018. 2018 you started. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, start, that would have been your first competition. First competition. Yeah. Okay. 
Wow. Please don't tell me you won this too. No, no. They okay. were just a local, <laughs> local meet. <laughs> I mean, not, not because it wouldn't be fantastic, but because I would just be like, that, that would just, I mean, that would be why it's already enough. You know what I mean? <laughs> Everything you've done is already enough. That, well, I that appreciate would be, that. That would be crazy. <laughs> yeah. And then from there, it was just like, you know, fully, fully engulfing myself, you know, in, in weightlifting, you know, training hard. And, you know, I really, I was a little bit too overzealous and I had some, some overzealous people around me too. So I, I, I think I definitely had some overtraining going on, uh, early in my career. Um, but yeah, I mean, I loved weightlifting. Like it was and from there, it was just continuing to learn and get better. Okay. And and so that, that brings you kind of to where you are today then. So you've been yeah. doing weightlifting since, you know, for four years or so. Yep. Do you yep. still do any powerlifting? Do you do like super total at all or? You know, I don't, I don't, I totally. Interesting. I, I, I thought you would have said that, especially since you did so well at powerlifting, I thought maybe you would do some super total, but I mean, you know, like I, I just haven't had the opportunity. Like if there were super total meat around, like I, right. I pop in. Yeah. I mean, it's not really like, I, yeah. Meat wise. It's probably more people, you know, Clarence Kennedy is like a guy I think of who's like, right. there's no real super total meats, but to just do it and have the crazy numbers in both is like, yeah. it's just a cool accomplishment. I think for sure. I mean my squat, so I squatted more. So in powerlifting worlds, I was 83 kilos. And then now my weight class is 89. So I did gain a little bit of weight, but like I squatted more like, you know, the high bar ass to grass Olympic squat than I did at worlds. And I also out deadlifted my worlds total. I just don't bench anymore. Okay. Uh, Cause it just, Olympic had, weightlifter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you know what? It had so much effect on like my tech tightness. Like that was a main thing yeah. in going into weightlifting is I had no overhead mobility right. Because I mean, I'd never, I had never even been in an overhead sport. I was a wrestler. So we were like here with T-Rex arms the whole time. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's going to be, and that's why I, I'm actually so fascinated by super total is because you, obviously, you know, a lot of people struggle with the pec, the anterior sort of tightness through the chest and shoulders when they go from like powerlifting to a weightlifting, or even if you're a weightlifter and you just try to bench, um, yes. a lot, everyone says that it, that it impacts their flexibility. Um, Clarence is, is an interesting beast because, you know, I think a lot of people wreck, I mean, he's just a freak, like, but yeah, he, I, I use this as an example again, because he's popular. Most people are going to know who he is, but to, I don't know what, I mean, I guess it's just, you have to maintain the overhead lifts pretty frequently to, to counter the, the benching, you know, you have to just keep that overhead work in. You can't like, you got to keep the, the jerks in you can't, not do it i don't know it's it's really fascinating because i always ask is it just a matter of just not be, you know doing a little extra stuff to keep it open or does it like benching really actually have that much of an yeah. impact you know it's it's hard because i you don't want to like i still do pack stuff right i still do some horizontal pressing because you don't want to neglect the whole motion like i'm a big right. fan of we're going to train every motion because your body which which a lot of big weightlifters won't i mean I think it depends, you know, like I think the Russians and the China, like a lot of the extremely good systems, you see the isolation work. Yes. I mean, without yes. a doubt, I hate to rag on us weightlifting, but I think they're kind of the only ones who don't do it. It's like, it's like squats in, in the lift, squats in the lift, squats in the lift. There's like nothing else. Um, I'm, I'm sure that's changing, Yeah, but, it, but I think historically that was kind of, you know, 
Yeah, I mean, I think wrong, but I, you know, the thing with U.S. weightlifting is like it's not standardized. So like Russians in Russian system train this way, you know, Chinese right. in the Chinese system train this way. U.S. like you could get one system in one team and another system in another team. Train totally um, different. You know, totally different. But yeah, I mean, some teams do hardly any accessory work and some teams do you know a lot a lot of accessory work and right. you know it depends like the bulgarians you know did no. oh, yeah right. so uh but i think for the natural athlete like accessory work you know train all ranges it doesn't matter if it's specific or not yeah. I, I i think just anecdotally that's the separation of national team i've even read articles about the Chinese national team, like people who have gone over and traveled over there and watched them train and train with like the youth and train with national team and train with the different levels. You know, obviously you have to take into consideration, like they, these are state sponsored athletics too. So they get a lot of support. If you're doing lifting, they get a lot of support from the state and the government and things like that. But the, one of the interesting things that I saw, cause I have to bring this in at some point was that the biggest thing that someone said, I can't remember whose blog it was, but they had written that the biggest difference from the national team Chinese was that the lifters were more flexible, which I thought was, of course, I'm like, Ooh, I love to hear stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but they said, he said he walked into a training hall and, you know, full pancakes and front splits. Like they were just more flexible and more and more mobile. You could tell that they spent a lot of time on those qualities um, which I thought was, was fascinating kind of to hear. Um, yeah, you know, of course it's just one person's sort of experience, but you know, I think that at a high level you do set, because I think it's so intuitive for athletes at a high level. Like I, and, and this might be something that you might actually be able to add to the conversation, but I think really, I think what, what separates the high level from everyone else, you know, that like top 2% or so is just intuition and the ability to sort of know how to train and what you need and anecdotally like what helps you perform better like that's not stuff you can necessarily teach in any kind of system right like i think any good system and this is this is actually perfect segue into <laughs> one thing i definitely wanted to take this conversation to because i know i've seen you post about this this is something i've posted about but i think any good system is going to instill you with good principles that you can essentially apply anywhere anytime within context to get the results you want and I think systems are extremely limiting if they, if they just kind of foster you into this system, but don't actually give you the underlying principles that created the system in the first place, because now you're kind of at the mercy of the system. And once you leave that system, it's like, then what do you do? Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing with like how I like to coach is like, you know, I, I believe everybody, like you talk about the intuition. I think everybody knows somewhere in them, you know, maybe it's gotten clouded with years of sitting or years of inactivity, but everybody knows how to move. Right. Like, right. I think a lot of people approach training, like, okay, we're going to teach you how to move. You know, how to move. Everybody right. knows how to move. We've been moving since we were babies. We just got to expose it. Yeah. Um, and so like, I don't even like, I hesitate, like the word system describes, you know, a training like, like methodology, but like, I don't even necessarily love the word system because like in it in, in itself, it's constricting, right? you know? So like, you know, I guess my system is, all right, I'm going to pull from every person, you know, I can think of that where I see something that I think would help my athlete. Um, and, and I'm also not going to constrain my athlete to like my system. If they find something and they're like, Hey coach, like I want to try this or Hey coach, this feels really good. Can we tweak this? I'm just, I'm like, yeah, heck yeah. Like give me yeah. a reason and let's do it. I think, I think that's real coaching though. 
I think yes. that that's true coaching. Like I think, and I hate to say this and, and I don't mean this to put myself on any kind of pedestal at all, but I think it's important to recognize that coaching is fostering. It's, it's not so much telling people what to do, which is what a lot of coaches think it is, right? Like I'm going to tell you what to do. It's, it's yeah. fostering that foster, sorry, fostering that individual's own intuition. And I think a lot of times validating that what they feel is generally probably going to be right. Now we shouldn't base everything off of how we feel. You know I mean? Some days yes. people come in and they feel like shit and whatever. Oh, cool. I don't want to train. Or I don't That's not what we're talking about in terms of feelings. But I think like you said, movement intuition, that's pretty much genetically ingrained in our you know, DNA. Like yeah. that's, that's how we became, you know, the species that we are. And, and, you know, that's, that's a whole separate conversation that I'll leave to like, Edo Portal or somebody like that. But, um, <laughs> I think that's a really good point. And I think that's because a lot of coaches follow me and listen to my stuff. And I think that that is like the number one thing you could kind of tell people is, is and because I get people who send me questions all the time on Instagram, right? Like mm -hmm. every day. And they, they tell me, Hey, somebody said this, but when I do X, you know, it feels better. And my response is, okay, well send me a video and let's say at least look at it make sure you're not just like totally, you know, technically, butchering something incompetent yeah. you know what i mean but and i think that there's just so many variances within technique itself that yeah you know, but oh yeah you know it, it's i think that's really interesting just it's a good point you know basically is yeah. what i want to say and really drive that home to people is is that's a good that's good coaching i think that you know i've talked about this a little bit before and it's not just weightlifting or powerlifting. I think across any sport, I think kids are extremely overcoached and overcued yes. because people sell technique, right? Like, and, and what is technique really? Well, of course there's some universal to some degree, like certain movement patterns, like a squat is a squat, like visually the joints that are involved, what joints move and joining, like for the most part of squat, like a squat is not a deadlift. A deadlift is a deadlift, a squat is a squat, a jump is a jump, a run is a, is a run. And of course there's like carryover and all these different things. But, you know, one thing I think about is like when I played baseball, you, you go to one coach, you got to hit like this. You need to stand like this. Your stance needs to be like this. You go to another coach and it completely changes. You go to another coach and it completely changes. It's like these coaches just want you to fit within their own bias and their system. They're not actually there to, to foster your like your, like your individual self, your, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And then it's like, if you look at any athlete almost across the board, look at any baseball pitcher, all wildly different throws, look at any baseball batter, all wildly different stances, look at any Olympic weightlifters squat, different depths, different stances, diff you know what I mean? It's just like, yeah. it, it changes so much that to say that there's any one technique is ideal. I think it's just kind of an asinine statement. I mean, I, I can't tell you, like, I can't emphasize how much I agree with you on this. Like, you know, number one, I view like the way I describe coaching is like, I'm a guide, like I'm a guide on someone else's journey, helping them to reach like where they want to go, how, how their body wants to move. Um, but I've seen that like in my own career, like I've switched coaches and everybody is trying to tell me how to move. Like everyone, like I was an athlete before weightlifting, right? Like I, I know my body knows how to move. Everybody's body know how, knows how to move. And so when I try to make a correction, right, the correction is this is why we're doing the correction. 
it's for this purpose to make this lift more efficient in this way, right? right. It's not because the lift doesn't look like I want it to look because I believe this one way is correct because that's just not, it's not right. how humans work. Right. It's like, it's, it's funny when you see things again, I'll bring up Clarence. If you, if you read some of the comments on YouTube, right. People are like, Oh, his, his jerk technique. It's like, he jerks more than almost any man alive. How could you, how could you possibly say that his jerk technique is wrong or, or the famous video of uh, Michael Johnson critiquing Usain Bolt. It's running. It's like, he's literally the fastest guy ever. Like how, like, how can you, I just, uh, how do you stand on camera and say, Oh, he could be running more efficiently. He's, he's literally the fastest guy ever. Like it's, I get some of the arguments sometimes, but at the same time, it's like, he's doing what works best for his body. You know what I mean? For his, what, you know, it's until he's no longer the fastest man on the planet. Like, I don't want to hear any arguments that he's just like an inefficient sprinter or whatever. It's just crazy because his technique doesn't look the same as yours. It's, you know, it's, it is wild. It's It's wild. And it makes me think, like how many Usain Bolts or like how many, you know, maybe not Usain Bolts, but very high level athletes are there that are, you know, a high average because they were forced into some sort of movement, you know, pattern that they weren't meant to be in. I couldn't agree more. I think that that is a fantastic question. I think it is a fantastic point. And how old are you? 22. That is, I mean, to have a, a, a training awareness at that age is phenomenal, man, because it, it is a very good point, right? It's, there are probably, you know, I'd say millions just to be, a, you know, a little extreme here, but there's probably millions of kids that could, even if, if you, I mean, I don't want to segue too far away, but in education too, right? Because we're, we're, we're trying to foster systems to people instead of fostering people themselves, you know, and it's like people learn different ways people move different ways. Some, you know, there's so many different things that are going to genetics are going to play, you know, obviously like you might be a better, better basketball player if you're six, eight, than if you're five, five, you know what I mean? But you know, there's just, you know, obviously like you might excel a little better in powerlifting or weightlifting if, you know, you have better joint angles, but at the same time, there's obviously people that, you know, long legged lifters who excel really well or whatever. I mean, it's, but that's a really freaking good. How many kids get stumped, plateaued, and frustrated because you're trying to mold them into something that doesn't fit them, right? Instead of fostering, yeah, their kind of natural way of. And I mean, and that's like one of the biggest things I think on Instagram is people are like Jeff, you're so aggressive, and you know, you call all these people out, and it's like because you literally make people feel like a lot of these coaches out here make people feel like they're stupid and they don't know what they're talking about and the things that they feel and say just because they're not educated or don't have a PhD in biomechanics, like they don't know what the hell they're talking about. I'm like, again, if, I think if you just foster, give them people the right environment and the right tools, they, they're way more able and competent than a lot of people make them out to be. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like people get so, I mean, most of my time is just spending, unfortunately, just like, well, somebody told me this and somebody told me that, and this is what I, you know, it's just like, Jesus, man, like, it's almost oh, yeah. too much information that people have, right? And so it just paralyzes the hell out of their ability to, to accomplish whatever it is that they need to do. Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you how many athletes like it's spent like, okay, like, you know, you watch this YouTube video that told you to arch your back when you squat or like right. push your knees out in like... Uh, don't even get me started on the knees. Let's not get started on the knees. <laughs> yeah, we agree on We, we agree on <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, I think a general... I like to simplify things, you know, into 
like uh, tidbits of information that you can apply, right? So if anybody's listening, like if you're in doubt, like should I correct this or not? Why don't just see what happens? Like let the athlete go, right? If it's not something where the athlete's going to get hurt and you don't know whether it's wrong or not, like just just wait and see. Because that's my rule. It's like oh well, but the thing that this guy's doing like is a little bit weird. I've never seen this before, but like. I don't know if it's, I don't necessarily know if it's negatively impacting him. So like, let's just let it go and, and see what happens. Yeah. And I mean, you know, my, my role with flexibility and mobility, and maybe you can go into your experience with it or how that's changed for you or how maybe your ideas are changed or maybe you hate it, which is fine too. But <laughs> um, the way I kind of approach issues in, in fit, like what I've learned anecdotally from my own experience just as an athlete and then now coaching and training others is that people are tend to be limited. So not only are they physically limited because of certain restrictions that they have in their body that they just haven't explored or used or improved or ever trained to ever. Um, obviously then you have the information restriction and then you even have the coaching restriction too. So you got, you know, limited or bad information or tons of information you don't know what to do with. And then you have the coaching aspect of like, which can be good or it can be bad. And then you have your own limitations. I, I find that, you know, as well, and this is like an argument that you, you kind of make with kids too, is if you restore people's flexibility and, and we won't even go into the conversation of just, I'll just use flexibility and people want if people want to know what I mean by that, they know where to find me. But Restoring people's flexibility and getting them stronger. I think those are probably two of the biggest things that you can do into just improving someone's like movement IQ because the flexibility gives you options and strength gives you options as well. And if you know anything about like dynamic systems theory and how different things, uh, you know, affect you know, coordination and movement quality and, you know, stuff like that. You have like self-restraint and environmental restraints and, you know, different things. But I think that's like, for me, one of the biggest successes for a lot of the people I work with is the whole fitness industry is almost built around like problems and, and trying to, to get around problems versus handle problems, right? Like, oh, you can't do X exercise well, let's, here's all these different variations, which obviously is good. Like if somebody can't do something, I'm not going to force them to do like, Oh, you can't squat all the way down. Well, I'm going to force you to squat. You know what I mean? It's like, cool. We have other options to use in the meantime, but my number one goal is to, you know, basically it's not for everybody, but if somebody comes to me and says, Hey, I want a full squat. Well, then we're going to get you to where you want to squat. You know what I mean? Um, and work on your flexibility and, and then over time that comes, but I guess basically what I was trying to say is like more options are good. And, and I think like the injuries and even the, even kids these days, they just don't move as much. They don't play as many sports. You know, there's PE and recess is basically taken out of schools anymore. There's like, that doesn't even exist in, in most schools anymore. So, you know, mobility and flexibility definitely become an issue. And I think that's like where a lot of these cues come from and these generalized cues, you know, the knees out, like chest up. Well, if, if you have like shitty T-spine mobility and really poor hips, it's probably a good, like you have to push your knees out and lift your chest yeah. up. But the intention of doing something isn't always going to equal visually what happens, right? Because if I try to put my chest up when I squat, like I'll, I'll bend backwards. You know what I mean? So like, I can't 
I don't think chest up when I squat and I sure as heck don't think, you know, knees out or whatever, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it, we're getting off here now. Yes. I'm just like down the rabbit hole, but yeah, I mean, the, the, just the options and, and people are, I think, like you said, people are just, they know this better than they think they do. Right. Yes, ex- exactly. Like get the athlete and you're exactly right. Like, kids these days all right we'll talk about the kids all right let's talk about the kids let's, let's talk about the kids, the kids are, <laughs> they're gonna save the world so um they're moving less okay they're playing video games when they get home from school all right and then the only thing they do is hyper specialized sports training and it's right. like to get better at baseball this kid doesn't need to go to a pitching coach wow. he needs to you know his hips don't internally rotate like if you fix that, you teach him how to squat correctly, like he's going to become a better baseball player. So I feel like we're in a very hyper specific and there's times and places like with a pro athlete, like his, in his hips move, like there's a time to get specific, right. but with a child, the time is, is not then and there. The time is just yeah. to get them moving. And it's, it blows my mind now, like seeing kids in like with such, I, I don't like to say bad posture, but with such limiting posture, For athletic. Sure. it's, it's crazy because like, when we grew up, we played outside like for hours. Right. And they just don't do that anymore. No back bends, cartwheels, running all day, biking. All, I mean, like I, we basically weren't allowed to stop moving. I mean, fortunately my parents, like I had times where I could play video games, but it wasn't like today. Like, yeah, you can have a couple hours on the weekend or whatever, but most of the time it was like, get out of the house and go find something to do for hours. I mean, I'm a little older than you. I'm 31. So, you know, just, it was a different time too. You know, I could be right. gone all day. I could be gone all day long. And my parents wouldn't even question where I was all day. So now if my kid disappeared all day and I didn't hear anything, I'd be freaking out. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, um, I think that's a good point in terms of kids, ch- child development, youth development. And I would say all the way up, maybe until college. I agree. All general preparation. Yes. Work, work on flexibility and work on generalized strength. Just get people more flexible, more mobile. If you like that word better and get them stronger. And I, and like you said, obviously different sports have different biomechanical requirements, sprinting, jumping, cutting, throwing, whatever. They all have different requirements, but still require the joints to move through X ranges of motion or whatever. And when you don't have those to begin with, it's going to be hard to learn any skill or excel at any skill and just do what your body naturally wants to do because you are so restricted. And so I I guess that's where I was trying to go earlier is that, but instead of most coaches saying, well, let's just unrestrict you. It's how do we fit things around your restrictions? And now how do we coach this? Imagine a pitcher or imagine as a baseball player, you know, you're going up to the plate and you have to focus on a kid throwing a little baseball at you, right? And you have to think about all the things that you're coached set your foot like this, elbows like this, hands like this, shoulders like this, rotate like this. It's like, you can't hit it. You're not going to hit a baseball. No. And it's like the same thing with squatting. It's like, people always ask me like, what, what cues, I mean, this is a good example. What cues do you think about when you're squatting? Like just stay tight Squat. and sit down and stand <laughs> up. Right. Like if the flexibility is there and the strength is there, you're going to figure it out. If it's not there, you're going to run into issues. And then, that's where all the, I think, in my opinion, all the coaching and over queuing and shit comes in because you're trying to work around a problem instead of just solving it. Yes. And, and that's what we see. Like, if you look at like, okay, what's the Russian system in weightlifting, right? You have a snatch, 
there's issues in the snatch. We're not going to cue to fix those issues. We're not going to try to get you to start thinking in your competition snatch. We're going to give you a variation that's going to fix the issue in the snatch. And you don't have to think about anything. If you're doing a snatch and you're throwing your hips into the bar, we're going to give you a no contact snatch where you can't do that. And you're going to learn how to push with your legs. And you're going to go back to snatching and you're going to be able to snatch without throwing your hips into the bar without even, we don't think it think anything i think it's it's like and this is where people there's a love hate for charles poliquin but there is something to be said about the structural balance stuff now why i don't fully agree that you need to have a certain percentage to you know that you know you got to have a certain percentage back extension to deadlift or whatever it's like i think people kind of just misuse how what he meant by a lot of the stuff that he did and it's like for instance if you're squatting and your hips shoot back you probably have weak quads. So what a lot of, what a lot of coaches are going to do is they're going to try to cue you, lift your chest up, stay taller, do this, do that. Versus like throw him on a slant board, strengthen his quads in three or four weeks. Once his quads get significantly stronger, we kind of, we introduce some constraints to solve a specific problem. And then we remove them again when they go back to what it is they need to do. And then you find they generally execute it better the way they, they want to do it. Because ultimately when you're moving, your body is going to figure out what the bat, the path of least resistance is and what's the best way to solve what, the, what it is that you're trying to do. Right. So if you have stronger hips and a stronger back than you do legs, that's what you're going to use to squat. Is it necessarily wrong? I wouldn't say it's necessarily wrong, but if it does become an issue or if it does become a point where you're plateauing or you're not making progress, then we use, like you said, certain things to, strengthen a position that we want versus trying to over cue it because the over cueing, let's just be honest, it's probably not going to work because right. it's just going to create more problems. Now that now they're arching and if they're going straight into their lumbar, you know, or whatever, it's like yeah, literally, yeah. If the quads just get stronger and your body's going to use them better. Right. Right. Um, Absolutely. You know, I I've talked about this before and I like talking about this because it's a really freaking good example I don't know if you're familiar with Nikolai Bernstein. Are you familiar with Nikolai Bernstein? Uh -uh. Okay. So he's basically known as the father of biomechanics. He actually coined the term biomechanics. So he was a Russian scientist who was basically employed by the state, I believe, after the Cold War. And basically, he actually, by the way, basically invented the first uh, slow motion camera. Um, He was hired to essentially figure out a way to improve um, Russia's like uh, like blacksmithing sort of like get get them going again, right? And, and, and kind of just like improve that sector and figure out like basically hit the job he was given is he was given novice beginner blacksmiths and he was given, uh, you know, like like probe, but I don't know what you call them, master artists and blacksmiths or what, you know, artists and blacksmiths, right? Right. And his job was essentially to compare the two. Like what, what is the deciding fact? What makes an artist and blacksmith more efficient than a beginner? Like what is, what is it that makes, what actually makes a difference between, and, and this could probably be applied to any kind of skill, but what is the difference? And so he was basically hired to figure out what that was and try to come up with what that was, because then we want to duplicate that and now apply it here. So then we can make everybody just more productive, right? Like the whole was just to increase 
production after the Cold War and to get Russia's economy, because obviously you spent a lot of money on war. And so it was to kind of reboost the economy, right? Right. Something like that. I could be slightly wrong on some of these details, but that's not the point. Right. So what he found out and this, I think will kind of pull everything together and give people a frame of reference was that the major difference between the novice and the artisan blacksmith was when he reviewed the movement pattern of the shoulder and the swing on the novice compared to the artisan. What he found was that the novice, you know, just kind of a random number had, you know, between five or 10 certain paths that they had to take in order to land the hammer to the chisel, right? And anything outside of those paths, they missed. They didn't, their accuracy was off, right? So obviously, one of the problems of a beginner blacksmith is they're just not going to be as efficient. They're not going to be as accurate, you know, at, at accomplishing whatever the motor task is. In this case, it's hammer to nail. The master blacksmith or the artisan, basically what they found was that his path varied every single time. And he hit the nail every single time. So the deciding difference between the beginner and the artisan was that the artisan blacksmith was unlimited in his options in executing whatever the motor task was. He was less restricted in basically going from point A to point B and could accomplish that in almost an infinite amount of ways. Whereas the beginner had to have an extremely confined variable in order to, to, to basically, you know, be efficient. So the, the study was proposed and it was originally called, the, uh, I believe it was called, it was like the something problem. It was like the Bernstein problem or I'd have to, I'd have to look it up and reference it. But basically the thought process going in was that the more constraints we put on an individual, the more successful and efficient we're going to make them because there's less room for error, right? Like that's the thinking is like, right. there's got to be a perfect way to do this. And if we can find out what that perfect way is, we just, all we got to do is replicate that here. But what they actually found out was quite the opposite, that there was no perfect way, that there's a thousand perfect ways instead of five perfect ways. And if you have a thousand perfect ways to do something instead of five perfect ways, it just makes you better at executing motor tasks. And I think, why is that study so important? Because this study was done like a hundred years ago by the father of biomechanics himself. And what the study shows, and this study has been replicated, I, I believe with like baseball players and golfers, is that the more options that your body has to execute a motor task, the exponential increase of, of like, you know, your odds of success are, they improve. And, and the best comparison I ever heard given in this exact reference was by my friend, Moses Bernard, who said, you got to think of the one way as like a, a map quest. You're probably not old enough to remember map quest or to take family trips on map quest. No, I, I remember map quest. Okay. It was, yeah. <laughs> it was a, part of my English. It was a fucking disaster, right? Like it would always be wrong. It didn't take into account new roads being built or construction, or it was like always outdated. It was just like bad all the time. Right. Like you, you never got to where you were really going with MapQuest. Always ended up asking for directions. Always asking for directions, stopping at some random gas station in the middle of God knows where, you know, speed up to now where you have modern day GPS, which updates on the second accident here, cop here, construction here. This way is taking longer than normal reroute here. And so that's, I think that's essentially what dynamic systems theory poses is that 
there's no one perfect way to do something. In fact, the more ways you can figure out how to accomplish something, the more successful you're going to be at it. No one, for example, a back squat, no one rep is ever the same. It may look the same, but everything is always going to change by some marginal degree every single time. And the better that you get at adapting to an immense, an infinite amount of variables, the better that you're going to be. That's just within yourself. So, you know, if you think of like self-constraints, you're looking at flexibility, mobility, strength, psychology, like there's obviously a whole thing you could branch off into, but there's just those factors alone. And then you have the factors of the environment, right? So if you play a sport, is it raining? Is it cold? Is the ground wet? Is it dry? You know, are you in a totally, are you in an away stadium? Are you in a home stadium? The energy, you know, if you're shooting a free throw or people yelling at you, or you, it's easy to shoot a thousand free throws in a gym by yourself, rep after rep after rep. But now you're in a stadium away and people are yelling at you and telling you, you suck and they hate you. And you still have to make a free, like there's so many factors in very, you know, as a lifter, maybe you're traveling, maybe you didn't sleep as much. Maybe you're in a new gym and you're not as comfortable in the, you know what I mean? Like there's so many different things that the better you are at just adapting to the wide variety of different things you're going to experience, the better you are. The answer, in my opinion, is not limiting. It's never about limiting. And, and again, this whole industry is about limiting. How do we limit, 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 limit? That's we should, in my opinion, we should be doing the opposite. I completely agree. I mean, I say time and time again, like to all my athletes, I, I think I posted some on Instagram too. The best athletes are the ones who can adapt the best, literally to training, to stressors, everything is about being able to adapt and then uh, in another words like we need to train the reactivity right you said no squat is the same so it's not the same because there's so many micro adjustments that are going on that you don't even know are going on in the right. squat and that's reactivity so if we try to over athletes so much to where they're thinking and thinking we're taking away their ability to react and that's what distinguishes the best athletes from the average ones yeah yeah, I agree. I think it's, I think it's an extremely important topic that, you know, I think that it's, especially coming from somebody who, you know, it's interesting because we say this powerlifting and Olympic weightlifting in and of itself are probably the most constrained sports, right? If you think of like, what is the comp, what is the task and what do you have to do to accomplish it from like, if you look at it from a simplistic viewpoint, there's very limited amount of things like the squat or as a powerlifter, you have to show up, you do three movements, a squat, a bench, a deadlift. So that's it. And people think like, wow, that's not really a lot. So again, it's like constraint, constraint, constraint. But if you look at an athlete, what does an athlete have to do? Jump, throw, run, sprint, stop, change direction, slot. You know what I mean? Like it's, there's like this constraints just, there's less and less and less branching out. But my point in making that is even within weightlifting and powerlifting, again, the, the variability, even though it's just three movements, the variability in those movements alone, they change every rep, right? So it's like you said, it's whether, it, again, you may look, but there was, there's even been studies on like bar paths, right? They're trying to figure out what is the most, what is the best bar path for a bench press? And what does it show? It shows almost like every time you do a bench press, the bar path changes. Like it's, right. it's it, it doesn't always just go in this. Like it, sometimes it curves, sometimes it goes this way. Sometimes, it's like whatever in that very second of time, the body is going to do what it needs to do to, to accomplish the task. And if it doesn't, well, you're going to fail the, the task. You're not going to make the lift. But if it does, 
it's like, you're going to do whatever it takes to do it. Right. Um, now that's, it's, that's really cool. So let, let me ask you this. So are you allowed to talk about your powerlifting and Olympic weightlifting training at all? Like, I know that, you know, you work with coaches, so, you know, you don't have to go into extreme detail. Oh but yeah. I'm, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So what, I, I'm, what was right your, now. what was your training? What was your training like when, you know, a lot of people, you know, obviously there's again, different systems, you know, did you train like concurrent or conjugate when you did powerlifting? Did you train like a West side? I mean, I know they're, they're supposed to be more, everyone's like, Oh, it's more geared towards geared lifters and blah, 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 blah. But again, like if you just look at a system instead of the principles, I know people that are raw and natural and they use conjugate and they do very well. Like, so I'm just kind of curious of what your training looked like. And then the second on that is like the same with your weightlifting. And then was there any like comparable sort of principles that made you successful in both or that you found have carried over well to both? Yeah. So my power lift. So to start off, I think the main, so like with my weightlifting, I'm, I'm self-coached now. Okay. Um, I think why I struck, so I struggled to stay healthy in my weightlifting career. Like I just, like I had knee surgery last August. I dealt with like a broken wrist. Like I just struggled to feel good and stay healthy. And I think the reason was that was because I didn't know how to weightlift. So I was under working under coaches and weightlifting and I was trying to force myself into systems when in reality, my training age, you know, was pretty high, right? I was, I wrestled my whole life and then powerlifting. So I had a high training age, lots of little things that, you know, I, I knew that worked for me that I totally ignored because the attitude in weightlifting was like, you know, be quiet and follow the system, right? Cause we know more than you. And so that's, I think now I'm gearing back toward like how I trained in power, in powerlifting, you know, geared more towards weightlifting and it's, it's working really well for me. And so that's, that's where that's kind of the evaluation I've done on my weightlifting career versus my powerlifting career, whereas powerlifting, like I called, I called Kevin, my coach, and like, he guided me a lot, but it was a guy, right? It was all right. Like we're training partners. Let's plan out this next cycle. And we literally did it in a notebook. And which is kind of, yeah, like we literally did it in a notebook and we'd like say, let's plan out this next cycle. What do we feel is working for us? What's working for me? What's working for him? And really we trained four times a week. Okay. This is actually very West side. I mean, we're two hours North of West side. So. Right. I'm sure there's, it's, they've had tons of impact on lifting culture. I mean, period. And then of course, if you're with any sort of close proximity to West side, I'm sure it's, you know, it's, it's, of course it's gonna, you know, Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes total sense. So, so we trained four times a week. We'd have two lower, two upper. Um, we'd have a speed like, so it varies. So like if we're in a hypertrophy block, it would be like more of like a hypertrophy type squat, like safety bar, um, higher reps. And then we'd have our heavy dead day, deadlift day. And then the other lower day, we'd have like a heavier squat day and, you know, a speed deadlift day or like a variation deadlift day. And then it was the same, like with the bench where we'd have one, heavier day and one speed day. And, you know, it would periodize like very classic strength conditioning where it would be, okay, like we're going to start with high reps on the variation or no, we're going to start with like mid to low reps on the variation. And we're going to swing to high, to high reps to kind of potentiate that hypertrophy phase. And then on the competition, we're going to start with high reps and we're going to swing no, we're going to start, yeah, we're going to start with high reps and swing the low reps. So it would be kind so of So you like, did a, like a linear periodization to reverse linear. You basically yeah. bounce back and forth between the two. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's pretty good. Basically. 
Yeah. And then from there, I kind of... And, and so real quick before, so people, yeah. so linear periodization, basically you go from a higher volume to a, a, a higher intensity. And then reverse linear is you start generally with the higher intensity and then you go back to a higher volume. And so normally when you're programming in, in a linear sort of fashion, those two always come off the backs of one another, obviously, because naturally, uh, you know, you, ha you have to, right? So just for people who are listening who may not know exactly uh, what that is, that, that's, that's what linear and reverse linear periodization is. Right, right. And so basically one day was getting heavier and one day was getting, getting lighter. Right. And one, get, one day was increasing intensity. One day was kind of decreasing intensity with more volume right. uh, over time. And, you know, it wouldn't be the extremes of either, right? Like if we're in a high intensity phase, we're not doing the extreme of high volume. We're just getting right. right. Of course. That's, that's always a mistake that people make is, is, and this is the mistake that people make, especially if they go through the polyquin system is like acute, like an accumulation phase is a volume phase and an intensification phase is like a, an intensity phase. But that just accounts for that phase relative to the other phases. It doesn't like an intensification phase can still be high volume relative to, and, and, and an accumulation phase can still be high intensity relative to whatever the previous or, or phase coming in. It, it can get confusing if people don't understand programming, but you can, it just means more or less. It doesn't necessarily mean absolute. Yes. I guess that's exactly. what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So, so, you know, when we're in intensification phase, we get a little taste of volume on the other day, but like right. just the taste. Right. Uh, um, so basically we train that way and it kind of just evolved to where when I was training, um, I would do like, it was pretty simple. I do like a top set of four and then I do eights after, and then I do that for like a few weeks and then I do top set of three, do some sixes top set of, and do that for a few weeks, top set of two, you know what I mean? Or top set of one right. and just kind of start working with top sets and that worked super well too. And then what I would do is I would just literally repeat that, those rep ranges and then rotate out bars or variations. So that's where we get kind of into the, okay, you know, I want to make this adaptation. I'm not going to cue the adaptation. You can't cue somebody when they've got 550 pounds on their back. It just doesn't work. It's the biggest reason why people aren't strong. Yes. It's because you, you, it's like, I know people who aren't strong by the questions they ask. It's like, you've never actually put a lot of weight on the bar because if you think that you have time to think of like foot pressure, big toe pressure, when you like, if you have to think about that, you've missed the lift. You know yes. what I mean? It's like, yeah, that it, it's gone. Continue. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so basically then it was just kind of getting into, I guess it was conjugate. Like I hate how everything's black and white, right? Like you're chaining in this system or this concurrent. System. Let's yeah. say concurrent. Concurrent is right. just like, uh, you know, it's training different qualities simultaneously. Essentially. Right. Yeah. Right. So it was a little bit concurrent, you know, but still phasic. And then I'd basically just, all right. Also, also another programming misconception, right? <laughs> it's like I program, I like that you bring it, like I program essentially a nonlinear. Like I, I don't, because most of my people are general you know, they don't, they're not specializing for a competition or anything like right. that. Right. So it's, it's basically just bouncing back and forth between again, accumulation and intensity. But what people don't understand is even nonlinear periodization still has a linear track. It's just spread out longer. It's not like you're just randomly doing different sets and reps, different intensities and volumes. That's not, that's not how you, no, no, no. It, it's, it's still planned out. It's still planned yeah. out. So over time there is still quote unquote, like a peaking phase. It's just not, as linear as, you know, one of the more traditional anyways. So, yeah. 
Yeah. And so basically, you know, programming, nerd programming. Stuff. Yeah. Nerd, nerd stuff. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the stuff I like, but no one else. Yeah, really does, no, absolutely. You know? I'll nerd out all day, but you know, basically like, all right, you know, I'm caving in on my squat. I'm going to add a safety bar. Right. Like it's really simple. Um, and that's, that's how I trained like my whole powerlifting career. Basically it was like, okay, you know, I'm feeling like I'm losing tightness off the floor. Let's add a pause right? Yeah, it's going to force me to get tight. And so it was, and then after that, and we did, we did tons of experience. Pretty, pretty simple, pretty common sense, simple. right? You yeah. know, here, I don't mind saying conjugate or con- because look, I don't mind he, saying conjugate. He, he popularized it, right? Yes. A lot of people shit on the system, but again, it's because they don't actually understand that the system is a self it's a flowing system. It's, it's not a rigid structure. A lot of people try to do, and I have this misconception as well. Because let's be honest, trying to listen to Louie explain conjugate is like, trying to listen to him talk is like, holy shit. So, you know, there's, there's athletes that he's had that explain it a lot better. And it's a, it's a flowing system and it adapts to the individual very well. And it can only be done with either good coaching coming from yourself or a good coach. You, you can't build like a, a, a conjugate like in and, of, in and of itself, it is a template, but again, the template molds to the person. The yes. person doesn't mold to the template. And that's where people, I think, make the biggest mistake. And I, and again, I'm totally guilty of it. I used to think that conjugate training was stupid and like, there's too much variability and people are just doing a bunch of random shit. And, and when I really actually learned the system, I was like, wow, I was totally wrong. And especially for a lot of my athletes now, it's one of my favorite systems because it, it does add so much variability and so much options, but, and I'll let you keep talking so people get the idea. I like the, you know, I used to think like, you don't need all these different bars and blah, 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 blah. Like I totally had a, such a fixed mindset that I was totally wrong about. Um, and it's actually one of my favorites now for people, um, especially because people get bored. Like, let's just be honest. Like yeah. not everyone's built like you where they, where I'm sure you, if you wanted to, you could walk in and do the same thing every day and do it at a high level, but most people will just get bored. And it's like, right. it, it does offer tons of different stimulus, but still in the direction of whatever the same goals are, right. It's not totally just off. Like I want to be a bodybuilder, but then I'm going to do like fucking run a marathon. Like, obviously that's totally different, but anyway. Right. And the, the thing is too, like, people view conjugate like and this is why conjugate is like a bad word for some people it's like oh we're gonna go in and we're gonna max our singles right we're gonna do it exactly like like they do right and it's it's not like that like you can run a conjugate system and do sets of five right? yeah exactly top, like this this week you're running a top set of five next week you're going top set of three next week you're going top set of one or you could even do a workout to workout like there's some again yeah. there's so many ways to change the system to the person like, like, right. sure, you might actually, you individually might be able to go in and do heavy singles and be fine um, and, and miss reps and be okay with, like, I can miss reps and it, I don't get all like, oh, you know, like I'll miss a fucking rep and I'll come back the next and I'll do it. Like, you know what I mean? Like I have that kind of attitude. Not everybody has that attitude, but yeah, you know, there's, there's like a, the old five, three, one is basically it's, it's conjugate. You just week, you know, week one, you do five, week two, you do three reps, week three, you do one rep and you peak, you deload on the fourth and you just repeat that. That's what the, right. which is why a lot of people like that system is because it, it's, it's still conjugate. People don't even realize that. It's, it's still but, conjugate. Exactly. And the, the other mistake that people make is they don't do the accessory work. So they come in and they do singles 
and then they don't do any accessory work and they, you know i mean it's just like so again it's just i think lack of understanding of the principles and just misapplying and abusing the system itself yeah i mean really it's just it is a lack of understanding it's like the way i view conjugate it's like using variations whether it's reps, it's reps and it's, you know, variations to drive adaptations in your competition lifts. That's really it. And so if you look at it, like, you know, at least everybody in weightlifting is using some sort of conjugate. If you use any sort of variation, like the Russian system was conjugate, the Chinese system is conjugate. And that's where Louis got it from. I mean, Russians. So Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that's, that's basically how we trained, um, and lots of accessory work, like just tons of hamstrings, you know, killed the back just just and i'm grateful because it just built a huge foundation and and you mentioned 531 i mean literally like in in non-linear like i'm at a point in my training now where i'm getting back to the olympic lifts but i don't need a 12 week you know periodized block right like i'm basically everything's fresh i'm running 531 on my squats like literally i'm not running the program that's, that's pretty much how i do it too yeah. I mean, you run a three week wave. It's just a three week wave. Right. I mean, I know a strength coach who runs a three week wave over and over with his high schoolers. Yeah. Like, you know, with, with beginner athletes, you know, with somebody with really unpredictable training, you know, that's wave. a good point. I'm uh, I, I have a kid now who was basketball um, and it was pretty easy to train. You know, there's very specific things for basketball that you, you know, you're looking for and, and whatever. He recently in high school started running track and now is transitioning to a decathlete, which is like, okay, sprinters, you train one way, throwers, you can train one way, jumpers, you train one way. Of course, there's some overlap between the three, but now when you run a decathlon, you have 10 different events. It's like the most unpredictable. It's, yeah. it's such a varied skill set. How do you train for that? And conjugate, he's training conjugate. And it's just like, you just get freaky and get better at everything. And you know what I mean? And, and then like, he'll run and he'll jump and he'll throw and he'll get better, you know, and he's getting better, but it's, it was a fun project for me in in a fun test for me to really start using that system on. And he freaking loves it. I mean, I've, he comes in, he has a great time lifting, which is always a good sign. Um, Yeah. And he comes in before or after basketball, you know, he's still got his basketball practice and his track and field and stuff because he's still doing other sprints, but it, it keeps the stimulus high, but it adapts, you know, to him and what he needs. So it's like, if he comes in and, and, you know, he's feeling beat up sprint, we know we can go higher volumes, you know I mean? It's like, or different reps or, yeah, it, like you said, it, it's, I think it's such a cool system, but you know, it, it, it's misapplied and I know it's misapplied because I misunderstood it and misapplied it. And it wasn't until I really learned what it was that I then realized, Oh, that's the real beauty of, of the conjugate or concurrent system. Right. Absolutely. And then for myself um, and, you know, there's a misconception that like, elite or high level athletes need more or like need more volume or more intensity. And like, for me, period, not even high level athletes, just people, period, period. Period. Yes. More and more and more. Yeah. 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 But what I find is like, and I actually had a great conversation with, um, uh, his name's, uh, Anthony Rubino coaches up at St. Ignatius high school. I went there huge. Have you heard Ignatius big, big football school, big football, a national, are they national? I think they're like a big nationally ranked team, right? Nationally ranked. Yeah. Okay. I think yeah. I've heard of them. Yeah. And so we had a conversation and, and I said, you know, I'm doing, you know, I do, I do like this different stuff. And I find, you know, after a couple of weeks, like the adaptation is not there. And he said, well, it's because you're, you've already adapted, right? Like if the higher the level you are, the faster you adapt, right? You don't need more, you need less. 
because you're going to adapt much better than, than someone who's new. And so that's what I find is like, you know, I could go in and do the same thing every time and work hard because like I have that mindset, but if I'm doing fresh stuff, I'm going to PR, I'm going to have fun with it, going to produce more force and the adaptation is so much higher. People shit on novel stimulus. Like it's such a bad thing. All these like high level coaches are like, oh, it's just a novel stimulus. So like, there's actually no evidence that supports that. It's like, that's good enough. Like if you've actually coached people, it's like <laughs> novel stimulus might actually be one of the best things that you can give to somebody in training. Right. Cause it's like, yes, the number one issue that people deal with is like, if you're, if you're looking at custom, it's getting people in the door and keeping them there. And if it's, if novel stimulus is what keeps them going, it's probably one of the best like things you would, could ever consider for somebody's training. Right. Like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, and that's what I find with like my power lifters, right? Like if we're far out from a meet, like we're, we're doing a lot of different stuff, right? And they're getting better. It's not random, right? I'm literally like, I'll program an eccentric, right? Because right. they get better at their eccentric, you know? So it's, it's targeted toward their weak points. Um, and then we just get closer to a meet. We, we specify a little bit, right? We get close to the competition movements and, you know, they, they get used to it for six to eight weeks and then we go right. back. It's, it's a good mix yeah. here. Yeah, I mean, some Olympic-based sports and then powerlifting, Olympic weightlifting. Well, I mean, they're technical, so I mean, they are Olympic-based yeah. sports, but it's a little different. And, and that's why I like, I you know, I have some guys that train more Olympic sports and some that are more team sports. It's definitely a different training because obviously Olympic-based sports, they have timelines that you have to meet criteria and competition and whatever. With football, it's like, you don't really have, like, yeah, you have a season, but, it, and of course there's like, more general prep phase and peaking phases and getting them ready for season. But there's no like one specific date where you have to peak at a certain, and then at, at X weeks from that, no, it's, it doesn't really work like yeah. that, you know? Um, yeah. And that's, and that's where I think the waves work really well. It's like, okay, you can't like, you can't trash this guy in volume, right? You just can't because they're, they're competing every weekend. They're playing yeah. just, you know, adapt the training, like waves work really well or, or you know, conjugate type system where like, you know, it's, it's nonlinear. Yeah. No, I, I really like that system. So you, as a powerlifter, as an Olympic weightlifter, you, it's kind of refreshing coming along your page and really, again, I've seen it before, but really going, you know, I find people and then I just go, like, go down their whole page, kind of see yeah. what they're all about, you know? Um, you, you have a pretty, dogma is an interesting thing because it's like, too much dogma and it's like so restricting not enough dogma and it's like you don't know there's not enough structure or focus right right but you seem to be a pretty open-minded athlete and coach to a lot of things um you know i've seen you talk you know like for instance actually this is where this is where i want to we talked we talked about this a little bit earlier and i think this is one of the biggest things i want to talk to you about today and you know i know we're running a little over an hour here but systems versus principles. Okay. I have talked a little bit before about different systems and I'll, I'll just name different ones, not because I have a personal thing against any of them, but it's just easy. So people have, again, a, a point of reference, right? If you look at FRC, PRI, DNS, you know, PRI is possible restoration Institute. FRC is functional range conditioning. Uh, uh, DNS is DNS. Dur uh, 
dynamic neuromuscular systems. Yes. There's all these different systems. System, this system, that system, this system, that system, right? What I have found, just again, you know, somebody else might disagree, and I'm, I'm perfectly okay with disagreements and having the conversation, but systems are just so restricting and they become so dogmatic to the point where I find that most people who attach themselves to systems don't actually understand the system themselves because they can't get the principles of the system to transfer over to anything else. So an example is, and again, this is just an example, FRC, right? Cars, pales, rails is like their thing, right? Do all the cars, do all the pales, rails, and it makes you better at everything else. But what I find when I look at different practitioners or whatever you want to call them is that the message is that this translates better to everything reflects in their work as like, I actually have no proof or evidence at all that this translates to anything. And then their training becomes 100% solely that quote unquote system, right? So yeah. if a client comes to me and wants to squat, and I assign them an hour of cars and pales rails every day, and I never get the person to the point where they're actually squatting and improving, I'm not showing that there's any correlation whatsoever or any understanding that I can actually make the system apply to anything else. So what, are the, what do you see a lot of these people do? Well, their systems generally become solely that. I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad thing. I'm saying it is generally... I'm saying it is generally a bad thing because most people want to come in and, and do other shit. They don't want to do that. Yes. And then when their training becomes just that, it's like, where, where's the carryover into what the, like our needs as coaches are to understand what people want and give them that while also giving them what they need, not making, I guess, not making them change their minds about what they want. Right. Like, yes, if somebody wants to squat, I'm going to get them to squat. I'm not going to make them better at cars. Obviously it can be a tool that's extremely useful to, you know, maybe hypothetically do have better hips or this or that or whatever. Um, but I guess it's like, you see that in all this shit, all the PRI people, it's like automatically every exercise becomes like a PRI exercise. And like yeah. everything is modified to like this PRI thing. And it's like, why can't you just it, get the PRI to translate better to the, to the weightlifter, right? Like it, it, yes. if somebody wants to weightlift, now you have them doing all PRI and they're not weight. Like where, where's the respect for the individual who's like, they're trying to, Hey, these are my goals. And it's like, it's almost like you don't even listen. Right. And it's just, now it's about you. And it's about, and, and again, I think that they do that because they don't actually understand. They don't actually know how to get the carry like the cross the carryover back to what it is they want. So yeah. the way that they make them feel like, or make themselves feel like they're getting success is they just totally create this. Now you have to stay within the confines of the system because I know that I can get some success here because I actually don't have any proof or that this actually carried. Yeah. I'm kind of, I think you understand. Hopefully people well, understand I, what I, I'm I, trying I, to say, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah. Hey, I back squat. I'm a, I'm a crossfitter. My back hurts when I back squat. You go to a PRI practitioner. Okay. Here's where your breathing could be done better to better protect your back. Now this person becomes not a weightlifter. Now is doing like all PRI breathing exercises for the rest of their life. And they're not able to go back into weightlifting because they, or they do the PRI shit and they go back to weightlifting and then they get hurt again. It's like, 
I guess what I'm trying to like, what people need to understand is that systems I think can be useful if you only, if you can apply the principles back to whatever your original goals are, unless you just like being stuck in a certain system and that's what you like. That's, there's nothing yeah. wrong with that. But I, more times than not, I feel like that's not people's intention going to these things to get the, these tools. Right. I mean, that's, that's my point of view. It's like, I, I don't, I know my athletes don't, I know I don't want to do an hour of breathing work. Like literally there's nothing that I could not want more than not to do. Like it's just yeah. not fun. Right. But if I could do literally five, pull five minutes of PRI stuff and feel so much release in my upper back, like right. I'm going to do five minutes of PRI stuff. So I think that. And if right, it makes you better at what is whatever your actual goal snatching, is. Snatching, cleaning, jerking. Right. Yeah, exactly. Are you becoming a better weightlifter or are you just becoming a better PRI practitioner? You know what I mean? Like, yes. Uh, you know, yeah. and again, it's, we're talking about relative to goals, everyone. So we're not like, but it's, it's a good coaching point, right? Because like how many times do people come in their doors and tell you what you want? And then sometimes your ego is a coach. You give them what you want. You don't actually give them what they want. Right. Like, Oh, I know I can make people better at cars. So if I just like make them do cars, like they're going to be better at cars. And then I can say, Hey, look, I'm good at doing cars versus like, if somebody comes to me and says, I want to be a better squatter. I want to be able to say, I use cars and stretching and these PRX techniques and they became a better squatter. Not like they became better at whatever, you know what I mean? That's what I'm looking for. Like, yes. Exactly. That's what I'm looking for. Because I think if you do that, then you actually understand the system. You actually understand the principles of what created that system in the first place, which is the most important piece. Right. Absolutely. It's, it's a piece to pull from, right? Like, and that's what, that's what people need to understand. Like, at least for me being a coach, it's like, why do I look at PRI stuff so I can improve my weightlifting? Really? Right. You know, why do I use like hip cars to open up someone's hip, you know, get some synovial fluid moving, right? It's not, <laughs> right. It's not, Just get it's some not lubrication in there. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. it's really, it's really not complicated, but I know for a fact that no one wants to do an hour, like no, no, no. weightlifter wants to do an hour any like everybody no one's doing this full time right? Yeah, right, right, right everybody's doing some sort of work and so and that's one of the aspects of coaching that i like is that okay i have an hour and a half how can i structure the most the best program towards this person goal best bang for my the, my buck right like what's yes. the most efficient use of not only my time but their time which i think is like the, the most respectful like this yes. person came to me they're spending x amount of money what's what's the most value that i can give them for their time Right. Right. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, it's a tool. Um, and I like these guys like David Gray, Connor right. Harris, um, you know, uh, Javelin Anatomy, actually. Yeah. 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 I know him from the ATG system. Yeah. We've, yeah. We've had some back and forth. Yeah. He's a, I've talked to him a little bit. You know, I like guys are releasing these programs that are like 15 to 20 minutes. Right. And you can figure out what works for you from there and continue yeah. to integrate it. Um, and so it's like they don't expect you for P per, for PRI to be your sport. And so that's, you know what I mean? Like that's exactly what it becomes. It's like people yeah. should have like an FRC competition. Who's the best cars person on the planet. Who's the best people. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just having fun and poking fun, but you know, it, it's, but it's a good, in my opinion, it's a good freaking point. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, some football coaches, the whole team is doing cars or what it's like, okay, that's fine. But it, like, you know, as long as there, you can have, you have some correlative proof that it, it's transferring yeah. over to, you know, whatever, if it's people feel better and they're lifting better. Okay, cool. But yeah. like, does it, or does it just become that? 
which right. I think it, it becomes a lot more of the latter than the former because just I think the quality of coaching to find that is hard. It's again it's because hard. because of the many things that you've listed in this in this you know allowing your your clients your athletes to kind of guide through their own intuition and, and so on and so forth. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you got to see it works, right? Like if you do a PRI and it doesn't open up any range, then like take it out. You know, it's like people want to be their head on a wall. Yeah. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've been doing it. I've been doing it for six weeks and I haven't seen any improvements. It's like, well, then you should probably just stop doing it. Just just stop. Or the opposite or, or the worst or sometimes even worse is, Oh, I did it one time. And I didn't like, you know, sometimes people can be like that with training. Like, Oh, I tried it for a week. It's like a week's not like just if we if we from the principal level of biology and the time it takes for adaptations and stuff to occur, that's not a love, enough time to have an honest measurement of whether something is working right. right. You know what I mean? So it's like it's kind of like a it's most again, most people are black and white or extremes, like it's one or the other, right? Like they do it too long that they just they just keep beating their head against the wall or they don't do it long enough where it's like they don't you don't actually know if it's working or not, you know? And, yeah. That's the, and that's the main problem I see like in this industry is everyone's black and white. Like this is good and this is bad. Right. And yeah. so like, I, I kind of look at like how I grew up wrestling. I would go like around the area to different practices. Like I just, we drive like to, to see different kids and wrestle them. Cause everyone, you know, is good at different stuff and learn different right. things from everybody. And that was fine. People went to each other's practices. Right. And in this industry, it's like, okay, I'm going to stay in this camp. And if I leave, I'm, I'm not being loyal, right? If I go learn right. from somebody else, like, it's like, oh, it's this really bad thing. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I don't, and that's why I think like, you know, why I like these guys release these programs that are like, okay, here's this program. Here's some concepts like confined to like a small piece of paper that's actually yeah. global because then you can actually learn and take something and integrate it versus like, you know, okay, come to my hour and a half FRC class. Right. You know, because then it's and, like, and then you, you do that or come to the seminar, and oh, by the way, to get more of this, you need to attend four more seminars. And you know, it's like, geez, yeah, like I I get it from a business perspective, but at the same time, I, I don't, you know, because just my own integrity wouldn't allow me to like to do that. Because a lot of people, because I've done the FRC and the part PR, and I've done, and people are like, why don't you, you know, list that you do those things? It's like because I use bits and pieces from it and what's successful and you know i even remember dre when he you know like like don't say frc doesn't work if you don't do it as a system it's like no i definitely there are definitely pieces of it that work when it's not used as a system it's i think most times when people try to just use it as an entire system that's when you start to find that it's not working as well because you have nothing to measure it against if you're measuring it against itself then it's always going to work I mean, that's just how biology works. You do right. that over and over, you're going to get better at that thing. <laughs> right. It's like, yeah, no shit. You know what I mean? It's like, but again, most people's goals is not to become better at that one thing. It's, you know, we could beat a dead horse with it. But right. anyways, it's like, you have to look at the training population as a whole, athlete or non-athlete, general pop or not. It's like, most people, yeah, they, they hey, Susan, like, what do you like to do? Well, I like running, but my knees hurt. I'm not going to be the guy that's like, well, you should just really stop running, Susan. It's bad for your knees. I'm like, no, let's figure out how to get you running. And I'm going to use whatever tool it gets to get you there. And then like, whether it's strength training, flexibility, maybe you need some breathing work. Maybe you need some, you know, stretching. Maybe you need some freaking massage. I don't know, you know, but it's like, you know, it, it's like coaching is, a, is an art and it, it is a, 
not a, res- a very respected one, especially in, in an industry now where everything is like fucking science-based and research-based. And, you know, I, I got my PhD and I studied in a laboratory for eight years. So I'm smarter than the guy that's coached people for two decades. I know more than you on a control group of 20 people that I did over the course of six weeks. Like my knowledge is superior to yours. It's like, I, I, I can't stand that shit. It's so annoying. yeah, you know, and that's, that's the thing too. It's like, what is the goal really? Like my goal is to simplify things for people, right? Yeah. Like, okay, your knees hurt. We're going to regress and then we're going to progress. Right. <laughs> level. Like, liter- like literally that's all I do. I for most people, let's scale back the volume first and see if that helps. <laughs> Nine times out of 10, you're probably going to. And now how do we reintroduce the volume slowly over time to where you adapt to, you know what I mean? Like, right. Again, it's simple, but that's why I like, you know, people shit on knees over toes guy, like his stuff worked. like literally I ran like a lot of his stuff coming back from my knees, right? It's regressing the load. It's regressing the movement. And it's literally just linear, gradual progression, which is what most people need. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I worked with Ben for a few years at ATG, obviously. And and of course I have, I have agreements and I have disagreements with some of the things he does. Most of my disagreements are just that sometimes he doesn't actually understand why his stuff works the way it does. And so the explanation that is given is like, uh, okay, but this whole just full on attack for just being popular because he popularized certain things. Yeah. It's just like, that's a little stupid, but. Right. Um, that's the thing where we get like dogma. Like it's just, there's so much dogma. Like I'm going to go worship this person and I'm going to believe everything that they say. Right. right. It, just take a little bit from everybody and you're going to be pretty darn good. You know, it's hard to sell nuance though. And I think the, like Ben is obviously great at marketing his specific little thing. And I think people just are mad at that. But at the, at the same time, it's like some people need more knees over toes. Some people need less. So no, the answer isn't always more of knee, you know, yes. you know, maybe it's more hamstring. Maybe it's more hit. Maybe it's more of this. Maybe it's more fucking sleep. You know, maybe it's, <laughs> especially you know, I don't want to get into pain science too much because I sure as hell don't know hell a lot about it. But if you, even at the highest level of pain science, they don't even know a lot about it. So my, I think my only quarrel with a lot of people is like, this is the solution to X. And it's like, but what about all the people that it wasn't a solution for? It's, it's yeah. you know, I like the approach of try it and see if it works, which obviously it doesn't sell as well. And maybe that's why I don't have a million followers or whatever, but it's like, it's a lot more empowering to get people to understand the process and the principles than it is to say, you know, or just say, Hey, try it. And if it works for you, great. And if it doesn't, don't be afraid to try something else. Right. Like, um, which is why I try to learn as much as I can from many different people, because it's like, the more I do that, in my opinion, the more I can help a, a vast majority of people versus just being really a numbers game. Like, it's going to work for, and you know, it's going to work for someone. It's not going to work for everybody. When, it, when you're buying an online program, it's like for 50 bucks, you know, if it helps you great, if it doesn't honestly, like, you know, it probably helped more than, you know, in my opinion, what most doctors and, you know, whatever, but right. Yeah. <laughs> that's a different, but you know, it's, yeah, of course there's, there's pros and cons to everything. And then of course, when you kind of reach the celebrity status, like, it's, it's a hard, it's not, a, I don't envy it really, to be honest with you. Cause it's, it's a hard upkeep, you know? Um, Cause now you're like on this pedestal and it's like, you have to maintain this position or else, you know, essentially. So okay. you have to kind of double down on that stuff, but yeah, I mean, it's, 
my safe bets, no matter how you do it generally for people are improve flexibility where it's needed and get stronger. And like you said, regress or progress based on how you're responding and adapting to certain things. It's like, if you can keep those three things in the books, you're like your odds of success are like, no, I mean, yeah. I think that's the other thing too, is like a lot of people are like, the, the, the big, one of the biggest complaints is like, well, you know, you get all these people who, you know, haven't trained or had, and that's why your thing worked. Like example is Ben is like, great. This person, like they didn't train their knees for six years because they had knee surgery. And the reason your shit worked is because they actually finally started to train, which is like a valid argument, but at the same time, it's also like, it's like, well, you know, it's like, okay. I mean, but he got somebody to train. Right. That's the real win. It's not whether or not the Peterson split squad or the AT split squad is the best movement for the fucking knees. It's he got somebody to do fucking something, which I think is like, obviously going to be better than nothing. Right. So I, I you can't be mad at that. You know what I mean? You can't get, no. And, and if more people understood that instead of just bickering fucking back and forth about what's best for this and what's best for that, your client's just kind of standing there like, you know, what about me? You know, like, yeah. you're not helping anybody. It's just like a, you know, anyways, but. Yeah. But you're, you're exactly right. Like, you know, nobody wants to buy, you know, something that says, well, it depends. Right. Like, and, but that's literally my most common coaching and like someone will DM me on Instagram. I'll be like, well, like it, it depends, you know, like, let's see, because you can't sell a program that fixes everybody. Right. And like, there isn't one right answer. Like I'll pull from PRI for somebody. I'll, I won't for somebody else. It just depends exactly. on the athlete. Just what the tools in the toolbox, what's the job and who's it for, you know, exactly. I'm not going to yeah. pull out a hammer to drive a screw. I'm going to pull out a screwdriver to do a screw and a hammer to drive a nail. You know what I mean? It's like yes. a spoon for soup and a fork for salad or whatever, you know, it's, um, it's yeah, hundred percent. It's, but I think a lot of people get into the, I have a fork and now I'm going to use a fork for the screw and the nail and the salad and the soup. And, and this is, I'm just sticking to it. You know what I mean? Um, right. And I think that's the biggest downfall from a social perspective, but also from just a meth, like in, in terms of methodology and system-based practices, it's like, that's why I say principle-based versus systems-based. Like, sure, the, the, the fork will work in X scenario. It won't work in X scenarios. If you only want to work, if you only want to be the, the fork for the salad guy, that's perfectly fine. I get a little upset by the fork is going to work for this, 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 and this all the time for most, you know, it's like, yeah, that's a little embellished or, you know, whatever yeah. this may be. Um, yeah. And they always say, well, you know, marketing, but I think you, I think you can have a little bit more integrity and, and, and still deliver to the people you need in, in the long term, I think they will appreciate that more. Right. Yeah. For sure. I mean, I, I like Angus Bradley made a post the other day about like knees behind toes. I love his attitude. It's so yeah. funny. He, he's the funniest guy. Like I followed him for a while and he's, he's hilarious. Every, yeah. He's so funny. I have to get him on here. Actually. I think this is, I have to, I tried scheduling him before and we, something happened with his internet, like, and then we couldn't get it done. But now since we've talked about him a little bit here, I'll have to get him on probably for the next yeah. podcast. I'll, I'll be interested to, to he's see. He's a funny what, guy. He's a funny guy. He's a hilarious. Yeah. I mean, but also at the same time, it's like, you can't really argue, you know, with, <laughs> with what he says, but that's why I like these, you know, even, uh, it's funny. Cause you say people that hate on, it's like, uh, Dr. Pat Davidson, right? Like there's stuff about him that I like, there's stuff that I don't like, which is whatever people, whether people care or not, or he cares or not. 
Yeah. But, you know, he even made, you know, again, I love Ben and it's no disrespect, but it's like, he did make a great point. He's like, how do you know Ben doesn't have fucking knee pain? You know what I mean? Like people just live in this fucking world of social media where it's like, you see a reel uh, and it's generally a highlight reel and it's the best moments and it's the most planned and cr- perfect, precise, you know, very rarely do you see people posting this. I don't fucking post miss lifts, you know, it's like, yeah. but it's, it's a curated life. It's a curated branding. It's a curated image. It's, it's not, everything is not exactly as you see it. And I think people just need to be aware of that. Even with me, you're, you're not getting the full picture looking at my Instagram. You're not looking at the bad days and the missed lifts and the, you know, granted I'm never injured and I'm never like anything like that. Knock on wood, you know, I'm very fortunate, but yeah, not every day is a great day. And what you see from a lot of the stuff I post is the best of my stuff. It's not like, it's, it's, it's not going to be anything less than that. Like, obviously it's just like what you're going to do, but that's for everybody. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. And I, I think that's the issue with social media in general too. Like it dominates, you know, our industry now. And it's just like, don't get all your information. What I'm trying to say is don't get all your information from social media. Like, no. because it's not, it's not going to work. It's not going to work out well. Like, you know, so many people like posting for marketing, you know, whatever. Right. And like yeah. my, my social media has blown up like, lately and I'm grateful for it, but like, I'm going to continue to post what I think is going to help people like bottom line. Like, and I'm glad my posts have more audience now because I'm just going to continue to post what I think would help, you know, a younger yeah. athlete, you know, me at a certain time uh, to help the most people. Yeah. I think that's like, I think that's great. You know, I think that, um, ultimately that's like, we're all doing the best we can. And, and let's be honest with you, or let's be honest for a second. Like you do, if you are pseudo successful as a coach, you probably are going to still have a better impact via social media than you are just in a brick and mortar. You just have more exposure, right? So like, you know, let's just say worst case scenario, Ben's program. Okay. He's got 2,500 knee success stories, but maybe he's got 10,000 people that it didn't work for. At least he helped 2,500 people that probably weren't going to get help before. Right. Now over time, would I be trying to develop a skill set? And a, and a delivery system that tries to shift the ratio or the odds. Absolutely. Because that's just how I operate as an individual, but it's still more than it was before. Right. So I think as long as no, no coach is perfect. We all like a lot of us become very good at what we do because we've made so many mistakes over the years, both with ourselves and with clients and whatever, myself included, you know, like, I started it obviously we all started nowhere and we came to where we are somehow. And a lot of it is via mistakes. It's, you know, it's the cliche, like, did you learn from those mistakes and did you adapt and adjust and move forward and learn more? And, you know, and sometimes just time and just more experience, like that stuff you can't buy. Right. So I think as long as you're adapting and changing based on that, it's okay. Like, I think if you try to just live by the sword, die by the sword, even when it's not proven, to be the best way to do things. I think that's just where people run into trouble. You know? It's like- yeah. And that's the thing. Like, like you got to reflect, like that's the, that, that's the biggest key is like, you know, I've talked to coaches where they're like, Oh yeah. Like I wouldn't change anything about like, they have an injured athlete. Like, Oh, I wouldn't change anything about their training in hindsight. I'm like, how could you say that? Like yeah. your athlete got injured, especially in a lifting sport, you know, like sometimes I would say that, there's not, I mean, in some situations, I would definitely say that strength coaches are the reason why injured, you know, even just team sport athletes and field sport athletes are injured. 
but sometimes it's also not sometimes freak shit just happens and it's like it's not it's not the strength coach's fault but then sometimes it's like no that's absolutely the strength coach's fault right like it's it's but yeah, yeah. you're right but in, a, in a lifting sport like you know obviously freak stuff happens too but most of the time for sure if there's a, a soft tissue injury but again like, the, the variables in a lifting sport are are, are significantly less than that yeah. of like some kid going out and running on a fucking field or something. You know what I mean? It's, it's exactly, it is slightly different, but I think just, I think in general, if, if, if you have a lot of injuries in a weight room period, it's a hundred percent the strength coaches, uh, I agree. You know, fall, you know, for whatever reason, whether it's mechanics or volume or whatever, you know? Yeah. And you know, like as a coach, like I take injuries person personally, like I don't care. do you're right you know like i don't care if my athlete went and slept four hours a night and you know only ate uh doritos for three right. meals a day i'm still gonna be like what did i do right. like what didn't i catch on to like why didn't i catch on to that lifestyle so that i could change you know their loads yeah out to the you know what i mean so i do take it personally and i think it's important to to do that so that you can learn and, and change as a coach and, and learn lessons well i think that's, I, I also, on that sentiment, I, I agree because it's like, look, if you're going to ride the successes, you have to ride the failures. And while we post the client highlights, oh, I had success on this and I had success on that and this worked for me and this worked for didn't. Again, none of us are posting the messages where someone's like, hey, this didn't work for me. Hey, I got fucking injured or hey, I got hurt. My approach is like, I try to handle it and I take responsibility for it. I think what a lot, I think a lot of the, PR and stuff that certain people are getting on the internet is that they delete block whatever and shy responsibility for, for on things or when things gone wrong, or they turn back and blame that person. Well, you didn't listen to me. You didn't watch, you didn't watch the videos. You didn't whatever. It's like, okay, maybe that's true. Right. But I'm not going to fucking say that. Like, it's, I'm going to go, what did I do? What can I do better? What can I do to help you now since this happened on my watch or this happened on my dollar or whatever? Like it's, even if I don't, it's fault and responsibility are not the same thing. You can take responsibility for something and not be at fault. Right. So like it's, and I think that's where people just kind of get like a little hung up on things. They think like, well, if I take responsibility for this, people are going to blame me for it. It's like, and no one's, I don't think really looking to place blame. It's like, I have this problem now. How do I solve it? And I just happened to be involved with you and it happened. Like, yeah. But I, I do think it gets a little shady when people are just like blocked and, and deleted or they get like nasty responses because something somebody says didn't work for them or worst case scenario, they got hurt or injured doing what somebody said was supposed to work because I, I get that. Right. Like, I right. did X system, X system promised to fucking bulletproof my shoulder or, you know, make me pain free. And I got worse. And when I asked the person, they blocked me or they blamed me or they whatever. And I'm, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's a pretty fucking toxic situation. Yeah. You know? um, and there's no one specific pe person there. There are obviously several people where that's happened, but it's, that's where things for me get a little like, 
uh, a little sketch, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, I, I think it's like, you know, or like in weightlifting, a lot of times you see like, oh, like it's a tough sport. Like you're going to have aches and pains. Like you're fine. You know, like I view stuff like that, like, or like you're not taking care of your body. Like it's your fault. Like I, I think it's like almost at, like athletic gaslighting, right? Like you're telling somebody how they're supposed to feel or trying to make someone doubt their own reality. It's a hundred percent gaslighting. It, it's, yeah. it's, it's, that's a hundred, that is what it is. It's, it's sort of like a psychological abuse a little bit. It's like, you're taking advantage of, you're going to make, like, make this person feel stupid now. But again, yeah. like, that's, that's what the whole industry is based on. Like, let me give you all this information. So you feel like a moron. And then I have the answers here. Here's the key. Now you have to buy it, you know? Yeah. I just, and that's the thing. It's like, I like to keep it simple. Like if I can post somebody, something that's going to work for somebody, like I'm going to post something that's going to work. Right. Like, yeah, I don't, you know, and, and that is really what the industry is based on, and it kind of ties back to like our FRC kind of, you know, PRI conversation. It's like, we're going to throw so much like jargon at you that you feel like you don't even know your own body. And it's like, well, you know, just simplify it so people can digest it and just do what works for them if you really care. And that, that's that's what I think. Yeah, the jargon's a big problem. Um, their understanding of the actual words themselves is also a big problem. Like, Again, like people use the word flexibility and just make up their own definitions. It's like, no, that's that's actually not nowhere fucking ever did it say that flexibility is passive static. Like that's not the quality of flexibility, nor has it ever only been that. Somebody just fucking made that up. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like these words are just words. Like the same way, the same way that somebody said mobility is is active. You know, it's mobility is only active. It's like, no, actually, it's fucking not. It's mobility can be passive. Like some uh, a chiropractor testing your hip range of motion on a table, they're testing your hip mobility. But right. somewhere along the way, this system says, oh, mobility is only active range and flexibility is only passive range and mobility is usable range and flexibility is non-usable range. It's like, that's the dumbest shit I've ever heard in my life. It's it's because it's by no means true at all. Somebody just made that up, <laughs> like literally. <Right. laughs> and you know what the thing is too, like, they're just words, right? Like let's ascribe meaning to the words. Like if you're going to, you know, be different people have different definitions, right? right? Like that's fine. But if you're going to talk about something like, you know, instead of debating it back and forth, let's actually define what we're trying to say. You know what I mean? Or we're arguing about different. Or, do, or just give the reasoning. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people go, Oh, okay. But a lot of times if I people like, cause I make posts like this, like people shit on flexibility, like flexibility is bad, but do these mobility drills. I'm like, well, explain it, explain it to me. You, you know, the, the thing is I've never, and then when they can't, then you know, it's like, okay, you don't have, you know, right. it's like, whatever. And that's the thing. There's this huge movement against like passive stretching. It's, it's huge. It's like, there's a movement that says it doesn't work. Like science we're, says, we're going to, we're going to take a break here and we'll come back for part two. No, I'm just kidding. Cause that would take, I could talk for hours, <laughs> for that. but yeah, no, it's, um, uh, I know. <laughs> yeah. But like, I've never had an experience where passive stretching doesn't work for anybody. Like at least in some sense, it, it makes people feel better. It improves range. Like I just don't get Again, it. I even have people, oh, it doesn't actually improve your range of motion. It might help you sleep better. Shit. That's a great reason to use passive stretching. Yeah, awesome, you, know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but that's what I mean. It's like, uh, anyways, or again, just mi misapplication of the technology itself, right? Like you don't know how to apply it. So yeah, maybe in your experience, it doesn't work. It's because you just don't know how to use it. Right. Right. So it's, 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 it's not that it's not the, 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 the product's fault. It's your fault. 
You know what I mean? It's like, you don't, again, you don't understand it. And again, it's, it's even if people make arguments against certain systems, it's like, well, it didn't work for you because you didn't, maybe you didn't actually understand it. You know, right. so it's not always again, but I hate to say it's, it's not always black and white. It's always you have to look at both sides, right? In, in everything, and so it's like, yeah, it's it's really interesting. Like, so you're coaching. Do you do mostly Olympic weightlifting? Do you do a, a spectrum um, of different people, or like, what does your coaching I, look like? I do a variety. Um, right now, most mostly remote. Um, I have a lot of guys who are probably going to eventually compete in powerlifting, but just college age and wanted to start lifting smarter. Um, I have like probably five or six Olympic weightlifters learn, you know, that are competing and then a few more that are just kind of learning right now. So it's a mix for sure. Yeah. But a lot, you know, mostly a lot of guys want to be based like around the squat bench and deadlift or snatch and clean and jerk. And then I have a, a few that are just like, Hey, I just want to get yoked and jacked and feel good about my body and, you know, and not have pain. I'm like, Hey, let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So you, you have a pretty varied skill set. Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting because the other thing that you'll see in this industry is that like a lot of information coming from certain people are very geared towards a very specific niche within the industry itself, but they tend to try to apply it on the broader spectrum of things. Like this is what, how it's going to do for everyone. Right. So it's like, <laughs> it's like, I'm not going to say who, but it's like somebody posts all the time, like, you know, train like an athlete and this, that, and the other. And it's like, you look at their training and it's like, he trains like a basketball player. So even though he says train like an athlete, what he really means is like train like a basketball player, which it, it, it is an athlete, but that's not how all, you know what I mean? It's like, right. that's how everybody. <laughs> Yeah. And anyways, yeah. I think that's where we get into like, okay, like athletes and later stage of their careers, you know, at a higher stage need to specify. And you said this earlier. Yes. But I think earlier in your career, like train like an athlete, like if that phrase means let's get really good at general stuff as a middle schooler, high schooler, then like I'm all for it. But I think, you know, as a marketing tool, it's, you know, like it's, you got to define it, you know? Yeah. What, what does that mean exactly? Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Because like, I, I posted just cheeky, like the old school, the old sports illustrated body edition they did of all the Olympic athletes. It's like, I saw every, every body looks totally different, <laughs> like totally different. None of them look the same. And so it's like, that's what an athlete, all these people are athletes. So define an athlete to me. Right. But once we have a definition of what that is to you, then we can go, oh, okay, cool. And have the conversation. But it's like, yeah it's just gimme marketing bullshit you know because people are like yeah i want to be an athlete. you know i was a fucking loser in high school i never i want to be an athlete you know it's like so those are the people that kind of like yeah that's me i'm i'm an athlete you know what i mean so it's like i get it like yeah he's talking to me you know i want to be like an athlete it's like okay yeah. <laughs> you know and the thing is like i mean I've if i if i train like this i want to be michael jordan you know it's like right. uh, it's, yeah it's, it's, it's not, yeah. it's not what's going to happen, but okay. <laughs> For sure. You know, I've said like, let's get more athletic, but like, I view, you know, that as like, all right, like everybody knows like, okay, we're going to move, we know how to move, right. We're going to be able to control our body. We're going to be powerful. Right? right. So I, you know, there, there's that. And that's the thing too. It's, it's not black and white. Like, like we said, like, you know, nuance doesn't sell, but like everything about this is, is an art for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's kind of the beauty. I mean, it, there is a science to it but there's also an art. It's just like any art, there's technique that you learn early on, right? 
painting, you learn certain strokes and you learn this and you learn that. And then over time, you, you make art what it is to you. Of course, there's the technique exists in there somewhere, but it becomes more nuanced and it becomes a lot more subjective than it does objective. And I think training is the same way. It might start off pretty objective, but then over time, it's going to become more and more subjective to the person as they age and experience and realize what they like and what they don't like. And yeah. it's like, you know, it's, it's no different than really anything else. It's like food. Right. Somebody, I might go to this fancy restaurant and I might have the same meal as somebody else made by the same guy. The person across from me can love it and I can fucking hate it. Yeah. You know I mean, there's still a chemistry. There's still a science to it. It doesn't mean that it necessarily works for, you know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's, it's a really cool conversation, but so, so what do you think about sports specific training? <laughs> I mean, so I, it's such a, it's such a loaded question, but you know, <laughs> I mean, like, like I said, you know, I think that early on it's important to for kids, even high schoolers. Like, I think one of the best things like a high school football player could do is run track, right? It's just like, just do everything, teach the body how to move. Um, give the brain a lot of different stimuli. And I think later in careers is the time to say, okay, like we need to keep you healthy. We're going to train a lot more specific. We're still going to work on a little bit of a general base, uh, right? Because specificity, Bruce Jack Schneider actually said, specificity isn't always looking the same, right? hundred percent. It's, 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 uh, it's not know. like trying to, which I think where, where people get a little carried away with the sport specific is, everything has to match the look. If it doesn't look like a sprint, it's not sports specific. It's like, uh, you know, or it doesn't look exactly like the jump. It doesn't look exactly like the throw. Then it's not sports specific. Right. And, and that's just not true. It's sport, sport specific is we're, we're doing something that's going to directly transfer. Right. And so I think even for high level athletes, like there's a general component, there's just going to be a little bit of a shift towards you know like for a thrower right? right or like a baseball player it's going to be a little bit more of a shift towards high velocity work uh, well, it, it's, it's like um i've been guilty of this at times but it's like people who like uh sport coaches or, or, or team coaches or skills coaches you know oh powerlifting you know spinners don't need to do powerlifting powerlifters do powerlifting and sprinting spinners do sprinting and it's like you know, and then the, the example that they give is then they use a powerlifter who's never sprinted sprinting. And they're like, see, powerlifting doesn't transfer to sprinting. It's like you use a guy who only powerlifts and never sprints and then try to use that as the example of why powerlifting is horrible for it to become a better sprinter, get stronger legs or whatever. It's like, what if you squatted and deadlifted and you fucking sprinted? They're like the transfer of skill, like you said, they're Absolutely. You, you have, first there has to be a transfer and you have to at least in some have, some have, have some correlative evidence that this did transfer. Um, but at the same time, you can't expect to get better at something and not actually do that. Like no powerlifting in and of itself may not make you a better spinner, but powerlifting principles and methodology in it put into the training can absolutely help somebody run faster or jump higher. Right. Or whatever. And you can pick any system sport, training, whatever, and say the same thing, you know, some coaches shit on the big lifts for sprinters or whatever. And it's like, you know, but yeah, no, I agree. I mean, so like, and that's where we come into like, sorry, I'm, I'm plugging in my laptop real quick, but, um, 
I mean, Bouchex talks about like, okay, we have sprinters bilateral back squat heavy, and they do it for a certain period of the year to get a hormonal response, and they go to a certain weight, and once they hit that weight, that's it, right? But like it, my target goal is one and a half times or one seven, one and three quarters yeah. or whatever it is they show that to not have diminishing returns or whatever. right. But he, right. I mean, he said like the the if you want to get a hormonal growth hormonal response from an exercise you can't beat the bilateral back squat now you could say you could look at that right in isolation and out of context and say wow that's not sport specific but if you're doing it for a specific purpose that's going to apply to the sport down the line then it is technically sport specific right so you know it's all about context Um, it doesn't always have to be immediate transfer either right that's like that's always the biggest thing about flexibility is the studies that they use, the context is so bad. It's like, look, look at this study. See, flexibility decreases uh, force output. Therefore, flexibility is bad for you. It's like, okay, let me look at this. So then you get the coach that goes, yeah, give me that abstract and post it on social media and tell everybody that fucking flexibility is horrible for them. And it's like, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Let me read the study. Can you send me the study? Let me get the data. Let me get the graphs. Let me see the control group. Let me see how this study was modeled and built. And then you go... Oh, okay. They did static passive stretching of their hamstrings for five minutes. And then they walked for 10 seconds from here to the block. And then they did a max velocity sprint, max intensity. And they got slower by two tenths of a second. Therefore, flexibility makes you slower. It's like, no, dumbass. Stretching your hamstrings for five minutes prior to directly sprinting is what made you slower. Flexibility or the quality of flexibility in and of itself is not what made the individual slower. It's how you applied the the, the principle and 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 the the method to try to you know basically just bias your own, which is really what a lot of studies are anyway, to bias your own outcome. It's like imagine if I said do a twenty rep max deadlift and then walk over the blocks and sprint hundred meters, and then you get slower by two tenths of a second. And I go see deadlifts make you slower. Therefore you should never deadlift because, but that's the context. Like one of the biggest studies that people use. And it's like, you clearly didn't read the study or you're just stupid or you're just cherry picking the hell out of the abstract and not actually explaining to people what this study says, because you're telling them flexibility is bad. And it's like, no, how you apply stretching is horrible. And the context of this study altogether is fucking horrible. And then you even using it to back up any kind of argument is horrible. But you know, that's, that's like my thing on flexibility is, you know, (laughs) that's the study. Like that's the best you got. You know what I mean? Like that's the best example. I laugh at it, but people who don't know, who don't read studies, who don't have the information that, well, I was just told flexibility is bad for you. It makes you slow or makes you a worse jumper. It's like, no, your, your, your understanding and application of it is, is bad. That's what, that's, you can't get it to transfer because you don't apply it properly. If if, yeah. if yeah. I told you to deadlift for 10 years and never sprint and then go race your same bolt, like, no, you're not going to beat them. You've never ran before. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but anyways, it's so, yeah, that's, uh, any, any of that stuff just bothers me. It's like, was there any resistance training at the same time? You know what I mean? It's like, it's, that's what these science-based guys just drive me up a wall when they do this kind of thing. Cause it's like, you know, and, and even people I respect, Oh, fucking Lane Norton. I listened to him on some things and then he went and posted a whole fucking thing on why flexibility is a waste of fucking time. It's like, 
no, your understanding and application of flexibility is a waste of anybody's fucking time. Cause I would never do it like that. You know what I mean? It's like, right. anyways, so yeah, it's, yeah. I like these conversations because it's just, people need to open up their eyes. Right. I mean, the, the thing is like studies, like studies have good and bad, right? We gained some great ideas from scientific studies, but like the studies that happen, we need to look at the fact that research happens over years and decades. And that's yeah. where we glean really like positive conclusions. So we can't look at a single study and say, Oh my gosh, this is what it is. Cause there's so many, it's really hard to have an exercise science study without a ton of other confounding variables. Cause this and, isn't in this day and age, it's impossible to get the right population. You know, like yeah. a lot of the good sports science studies were done in the sixties in the fifties when the science, when the studies were done on actual athlete populations and things like this, you can't do that anymore because no athlete's going to stop training for six weeks out of the year, eight weeks out of the year to be a control and a study for this. Like, no, they don't have time to fucking waste like that. Nor right. do they have the resources or the energy or any of this stuff. So it's like, it's just a really hard. And then, so then you do studies on like general population, non-training population, stuff like that, which is like, the context that's is that's, yeah. in and of it, that's bad context in and of itself, because how are you going to know how, but then you, you can't use that information on people. You know what I mean? It's like, there's so many ways to pick apart studies. And I'm not saying that all is bad, but you have to understand too, like from a coaching perspective, anecdotal evidence always precedes any sort of information that we get from a study. We had to have some sort of anecdotal evidence to go, let me figure out why this worked for 10 years for all my athletes. And then you find somebody to give you a million dollars to do a damn study for six weeks. And then you go, Oh, wow, this is why it worked. So it's, it's more of why things work the way they do, or very rarely do we actually get new information about, Oh, this doesn't work or this does work or whatever. It's again, a lot of studies just give us a little bit more nuance regarded yes. to certain training population and certain stimulus and certain controls and things like that. But it's never the whole picture. No, even it, even really good studies, it's it's very rarely ever the whole picture. You know? Yeah, and, and that's what I find too. It's like, okay, I've done this intuitionally, right? Like I've done this anecdotally, like I've seen it work. Here's a study, uh, Beardsley. I, I like a lot of his stuff, actually. I think his name's Chris Beardsley. Yeah, Chris Beardsley, yeah. Here's a study explaining why it happens. And it's like, oh, that's really interesting, right? And so I, I think- Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't favor sides of arguments too much. He just says, here's the data. Right. And here's exactly. what the data shows and potentially why it could show that. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's like stretching, stretching for hypertrophy, like in terms of range of motion, right? Like bodybuilders of the 70s, 60s, 70s, and 80s knew that when they improved their range of motion in certain exercises, muscles got bigger. Did they, did they know exactly why that happened at the time? No, they just, again, intuition and training experience and whatever. Hey, if I go through a greater range of motion, this muscle gets bigger. 20 years later, hey guys, this is why if you go through a greater range of motion when you do resistance training, your muscle gets bigger. It's like now we have the reasoning. Even though we knew it worked, maybe we didn't have the exacts, but that's kind of how studies work. I think it's important for people to understand that. You know, right. again, very rarely do we actually get like totally new enlightening information. We yes. already had the information and now we're just trying to double down on it or prove it wrong. Correct. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's what, and that's the thing too, like, you know, somebody referenced a study when I was talking to them one time, like they found that unless you do 300 hamstring curls in a workout, they don't work. And I'm like, dude, I've been doing three, you know, three by 10, four by 10. It works for me. Like, 
300 in a workout. I'm just like, that's ridiculous. And I don't know if it's true. I just, somebody told me that like reference that study in a conversation and you know, it's just like, okay, let's, let's think logically, like use some common sense. Like if you use common sense in training, you really can't go wrong. Well, it's, it's like the misunderstanding of volume and right. The biggest fraud in my fitness and fitness is volume. People say you need volume to grow. Okay. Why do we need volume to grow? Well, let's actually look at the, you know, the, the actual mechanics of, of what, what that is that's occurring there. And what we found is it's not actually volume that makes you grow. It's mechanical tension that makes you grow. And in order to achieve a high level of mechanical tension, you have to do a lot of volume at a lower intensity to accumulate enough mechanical tension in the muscles itself to create an adaptive response. Or you could do lower reps to failure. You know, like ultimately at the end of the day, it's like taking almost everything to failure within failure, which people have been saying for years, like, oh, the, the key to muscle growth is just taking it. So the volume guys, you know, you had the, if you look at bodybuilding, you had the volume guys and you had the intensity guys, right? You had like Arnold Schwarzenegger training like three times a day, just volume, 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 volume. And you had like Menser who trained like, one once a day, one quick set to failure, whatever. It's like both worked. So what? Why did both work? And, and we understand now it's like mechanical tension. Like that one set he took to failure, absolute failure, where he produced a high level of mechanical tension in the muscle belly, and that's what produced hypertrophy. If you're going to do that at lower intensity, you have to add more volume. So it's it's that's why like all rep ranges work for hypertrophy. It's just like if you if it's the same principle as underlying on the whole spectrum it's just the amount of work it takes to get there is either safer or not safer more volume or less volume or whatever so again it just it just gives us nuance to look at you know what i mean um but that's like one of the the biggest things is like when a lot of people i always do volume right more volume more volume you want to get bigger more volume two days now and there's more volume more it's like you know and then through the polyquin system he was big on mechanical tension. He also explained mechanical tension. No, you just, you don't do as much volume, just fucking go to failure. You hit a top set and whatever. And that's when I really started to blow up and change and my body changed a lot. And just, you know, you have rest pause method and like, there's a lot of different, but anyways, it's, it's this, you know, like and you point you made very early on was a lot of people think they need more. A lot of times people need less. They just need to yes. do less, less more efficiently and correctly. Yes. You know, and, people, and people have such an intent all the time on my programs. Dude, this is way less volume than I'm used to doing. Why are you doing my program? Well, because my blood hasn't improved. Or it's like, you're, you know, you just, you're answering your own, like, you don't need more volume. You probably need to do less. It's probably part of your problem to begin with. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, <laughs> less, very intentional work. Like, I'll get athletes who are like, I want to train six times a week. I'm like, okay, let's put you on four and see how it goes. And then they're like, man, these, you know, I'm getting it in and out in an hour and 15 minutes and I feel great, but like, I'm, I'm feeling like I worked hard. I'm like, yeah, you know, there's always going to be a, like a, a very early buy-in. Like sometimes it is hard to just say, just fucking trust me, dude. Just yeah. trust me. But now I do tell people like, if you don't give it four to six weeks, don't even bother with it. Like telling me, right. you know what I mean? Like, yeah, but I'm used to doing X where I went in the gym. I did this amount of volume. It's like, yeah, if you're training your ass off, you're not going to want to train six days a week. Right. Like you can be in the gym doing something six days a week. Okay. A little cardio, a little stretching, a little this, a little that, but you're not training hard six days a week. 
you're not training your ass yeah. off like that. I mean, most people aren't anyway. Some you're definitely right. do. Some, but some definitely are. You know what I mean? Some definitely are, but some, most are not. You know, like for myself, right? Like I found over time, like my powerlifting career, I literally did never train more than four days a week. Like never did I train more than four days a week like when I was competing in powerlifting and like, that's what worked best. And so what am I doing now? I'm training four days a week and my body feels great. Right. Yeah. And I'm st staying healthy and I'm working back. So, you know, yeah, I think, I mean, we have a culture in general that's like more and more, more like let's, you know, let's just do more and we're going to work harder, but really it's just find the right amount for you. And that's, that's how we'll be successful. Yeah. Efficiency is a, it's definitely a, a low hanging fruit, you know? Um, the more efficient you are, the, you know, but it's, it's in many different fields too. You know, it used to, you had the old work nine to five blood, sweat, and tears, fucking brutal. Just, and now you have like tech guys that are working like 20 hours a week and they fucking just create, you know what I mean? It's like the yeah. landscape of value is, has gone from hours to efficiency, right? It's like value is time is the most valuable asset you have. So if you can achieve more in less time, you're coming out ahead in the end because that's not something you can replace or buy or, or anything. It's, it's just a flowing constant that will never change. And it's here one second and it's gone the next. I mean, that's literally how time works. So, yeah. you know, um, no, man, this is, this was a great conversation. I think we should definitely do a part two. You know, we got off into a lot of things, but again, I think people, that's where you get the best information a lot of people kind of get these aha moments when you do that. I mean, I'm impressed, you know, 24, right? 22, 22. So, wow. I even gave you two years. So, <laughs> and, and, you know, incre incredibly knowledgeable, uh, well, you know, well achieved already. Um, I'm excited to see what you do, man. I, I, I just think that you've, you know, not that I'm anybody, but I just think that you have an incredible future ahead of you both as an athlete, you're still incredibly young and, and both as a coach, you're definitely very young. So I think, um, I think there's great things on the horizon for you, man. I think that I learned a lot in this conversation, you know what I mean? So I think plenty of other people will too. Um, you know, just kind of go back here, you know, like world champion powerlifter, you know, collegiate thrower, uh, Olympic weightlifting and now coaching. And, and is this the path to kind of, is this the path you always knew you wanted to take? Do you have other, um, is this what you want to do as a career or do you have other sort of goals for your career? And you kind of just do this, you know, on the side part-time, like what's, what's your kind of looking like there? You know, uh, I went to school for business. So I also work full time. Um, wow. Yeah. So I, I work in consulting, so you know, yeah, so I'm just kind of just enjoying the ride. Like I, I enjoy awesome, my athletes, my coach, and you know, I just, I just love it. So that's awesome, man. That's awesome to hear. Well, uh, you know, Matthew, I, I appreciate you taking the time to hop on here and chat with me, um, you know, and kind of fill me in on, on your history as an athlete and, and as a coach and all the things that you've accomplished and, a lot of the things that you've learned and, and so on. And it's always cool to hear because you, you know, you are, you know, for the most part accomplished at both sides of the coin. And as an athlete, as a coach, a lot of times I think people get information from one side or the other. So it's always a breath of fresh air to hear somebody who has a high level experience on both sides and to see sort of the transfer and the similarities and, 
and the pitfalls and all the kind of different things that come with that. So I, I really appreciate you taking the time on Saturday to, you know, share this with me. Where can people find you if they want to find you? Um, find me on my Instagram. Uh, it's champion Matthew Jones. Champion Matthew Jones. Guys, yeah. so that's at champion Matthew Jones. If you want to find Matthew on Instagram, go check him out. Um, again, extremely impressive guy, extremely knowledgeable, and uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed having a chat with you, Matthew. So thank you again. It's been great. Thank you so much for having me on. Of course, we'll do we'll do part two again in here in the future. All right. Absolutely. I hear him chat from the noise. Move too quick, can't stop for the talking. I hear him chat with the boys. Not so tough, but must keep caution.